WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 319. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show was recorded on the 11th of April, 2018. In today's episode, fumes in flight, more aircraft crashes, a mad dog runs out of runway, more news, your feedback in this week's plane tale, the Sir Glenn Torpy interview, part two. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 319 is ready for pushback. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guys show. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And joining me today, from her beautiful lakeside cottage in South Carolina, she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Glad to see you. It's a lovely day here in sunny South Carolina. Looking forward to a great show with you guys tonight. You're looking forward to it as well. Glad to see you. And joining us from across the pond, his country estate outside of London, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Can you fix me in post? I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Great to be back on the show. Loving it. Excellent. It's great to see you and have you back with us. And last but not least, sitting at his spacious southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, bourbon connoisseur, motorcycle riding pilot, for a major U.S. legacy carrier. Soon to be, very soon to be, Captain Dana. Hello, everybody. Great to be back yet again. Uh, just recovering from a traumatic trip uh, with somebody that we know. Tell you all about it here in a little bit. But uh, great to be back and looking forward to uh, another less accurate show this afternoon. Awesome. Good to see you again. It seems like uh, forever since I've seen you, Dana. It's- been a very long time, Jeff. <laughs> yes. All right. Very long time. Well, here we are back together again. And let's see, the last time we did this was Saturday and today is Wednesday. So it's just a few days ago. And uh, as as uh, Dana just mentioned, we are back from a just back from a three day trip. And it was a it was a blast. Um, shall we start talking about that just right off the bat? Sure. Yeah, that's probably the most interesting thing. Yeah, so um, as I think we mentioned on the last show, I think, uh, Dana was able to pick up this uh, trip because of the uh, 
misfortune of uh, the uh, original co-pilot, Brent. And uh, yeah, we started out a very easy day on Monday, just one leg from Atlanta to Norfolk, Virginia. And we got in quite early. And uh, let's see, we met up with someone named Austin Nasca, and uh, he is in the U.S. Navy, and he mentioned to me some time ago, hey, if you're ever in Norfolk, uh, let me know because I can arrange for a personalized custom tour of the ship that I work on, an aircraft carrier, the uh, uh, George H.W. Bush. And so uh, we uh, connected with Austin. He picked us up from the hotel and uh, headed out to the Naval Yard, and we boarded the uh, the uh, aircraft carrier, and it was a great time. I have some audio from that if you want to listen to that. Oh, you know what? Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll go back to some audio that I neglected to play mm, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so uh, let's start off with uh, the Norfolk feedback. Or not feedback, but uh, meetup audio number one. Hello, folks. We are in Austin. How do you pronounce your last name? Nasca? Nasca. Nasca. Like NASCAR? No. Ah, okay. Nasca. Austin Nasca's car, and we are on our way back to the hotel. We got picked up a couple of hours ago from the Sheraton Waterside in Norfolk, Virginia by Austin. Uh, He offered to give us a customized personal tour of the W. Bush, George W. Bush uh, aircraft carrier. And uh, wow, amazing, amazing time. Uh, he, uh, we were crawling in and out of portholes and, and uh, up and down stairs and seeing all kinds of stuff. It's a, a very impressive uh, war machine. And uh, let's see. I have uh, somebody uh, else with me. You might recognize his voice. Hang on. Hello, APG listeners out there. This is First Officer Dana. Well, soon to be Captain Guest Dana. Anyways, a fantastic day of, of exploring uh, the H.W. Bush and uh, George H.W. Bush. And uh, as you've heard me say before, I absolutely love warships. My first, uh, actually, that's a lie, second encounter on a live warship. First one was when I was six years old, and that was the JFK. First nuclear-powered um, aircraft carrier. I have to admit, this was an unbelievable experience. Truly honored that Austin took time out of his day to give us such a great tour. Uh, flight deck was unbelievable. We even got to see uh, things such as the bridge and the air traffic control center, um, and of course where Austin works in uh, controlling the uh, loads and, and aircraft coming on off the, the deck, uh, on off the ship. Excuse me. Just an amazing experience. So I really thank you, Austin, for taking the time and really enjoyed it. And, and I'll let your wife know that you, her cookies were fantastic as well. So here it is. I'm handing it back to Jeff. I have the microphone. Okay, so Austin, we're at a stoplight, so you can talk. You don't have to multitask. All right, fair enough. Well, it's been uh, it's been my honor, my distinct pleasure to uh, squire these gentlemen about Norfolk and and show them a little bit of the uh, the haze gray and underway Navy. Um, it's just awesome to be a part of the uh, aviation community and uh, the APG community that you guys have. Uh, uh, 
have delivered, have created around the show, and uh, I'm happy to host you guys. And uh, you know, I just definitely recommend to anybody that's thinking about hosting a meetup or trying to get together with these guys. It's it's an awesome experience, and they've got a wealth of uh, of knowledge and experience and uh, and wit to uh, share with everyone. So uh, take advantage of that. Yeah, we have wit. It's called dim wit. <laughs> But uh, anyway, really, really, wow. Yeah, wow. So we had a good time. We really did. And uh, again, uh, as Dana said, thank you, Austin, for taking the time out of your day to uh, uh, take us up to the uh, uh, boatyard, whatever you call it, the shipyard, and uh, show us around the ship. Uh, just a, an incredibly uh, beautiful and huge uh, piece of naval floating warfare. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Anyway. Yeah, equipment. There we go. Um, no, we didn't see many airplanes. I guess they were all off the, the ship right now because the thing is uh, getting provisioned, I guess. I don't know. Yep. Uh, all the aircraft fly off when the ship pulls into port, and then when we go out to sea, they fly right back on. Now tell us, what is your job again, your uh, title? Uh, I'm the, in the Air Operations Office, so we just help uh, uh, manage the, the flow of aircraft and the fuel for all the aircraft while they're airborne in uh, bad weather and nighttime scenarios. And I also help out with the COD, um, getting people and passenger people passengers uh, uh, cargo and mail loaded and unloaded from that aircraft when it comes and visits us on a daily basis. That's an important job, especially the mail, right? That's right. That's right. Go get all the Amazon packages to everybody who needs them. <laughs> Amazon Prime. Probably everybody qualifies for a free Prime account, right? Yeah. Lots of uh, lots of Monster and uh, whey protein that's uh, delivered out to the ship at sea. Ah, okay. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for uh, taking the time out to pick us up and take us up and back. And yeah, it was grand, a grand time. All right. That's it. All right. And, uh, you know, he mentioned uh, something about the cod and we saw an amazing cod piece. Ba-doom, bam. No, I'm just kidding. Um, That's not as bad as what Neville was saying. I don't even want to. I don't even yes. want to acknowledge nope, anything nope, that's going nope, on in the chat. I'm not going to. I'm just, <laughs> just, just saying. Yeah. Again, another uh, plug for if you uh, follow us on social media and you're able to join us when we do this live, then you can take part in the in the buffoonery <laughs> in the chat room. That goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, it was great. Uh, great visit uh, to the aircraft carrier. Uh, I guess Austin has some kind of special credentials that allows him to, you know, bring on uh, guests, visitors to the uh, ship. And we were just crawling in and out of all these different uh, compartments and sitting in the air boss's chair on the uh, in the superstructure. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. And he took us back to the hotel. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us for uh, the uh, event that we had later that day, late afternoon, evening. We had another meetup uh, because he is a certified flight instructor and he had some lessons and some some uh, introduction flights or whatever. Uh, what do they call those? Uh, Dana? Intro. Intro, intro flights. Oh, OK. Well, I, I was right. You were wow. close. Very close. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Thanks again, Austin, if you're listening. I'm sure you are. Uh, we really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. So uh, went back to the hotel. Uh, I think both of us took a little nap because we had to get up pretty early that morning. And uh, later that day, we walked over to the Freemason Abbey uh, restaurant, uh, which I think I'll describe in this piece of audio feedback. So we have Norfolk uh, Meetup Audio 2. We are having a great time at Freemason Abbey 
What is that? Freemason. Freemason Abbey. This is a uh, used to be a Presbyterian church years ago, and now is a restaurant. A very good one, in fact. Uh, we have uh, finished our dinner, and you're wondering, well, who is we? Well, Dana is here with me. Uh, we, uh, you know, the last time that you heard Dana and I together on a trip, uh, kept saying that that's the last time that uh, we're going to ever fly together, and but he was wrong. Never say never. We're back together again. And uh, let me let him say something to you about that. And then we're going to pass this iPhone around the table and uh, hear from all of our special APG community members and friends. I'm not going to steal much of this time because uh, we're uh, here having some fun with some um, very good and enjoyable uh, APG listeners. And you hear my voice plenty, so I'm going to hand the phone over to Bill and let him uh, have the floor. So here we go. Thanks, Dana. Uh, Bill Bates, and it's a joy. I have Captain Jeff, Captain Dana, and uh, we and on the same venue. So we've had a wonderful meal. Uh, it's been a delight, highlight of my whole month of just getting here. So thanks so for the ABG community and what it means to us. So we've been talking about all good things that's been happening. So I'm glad to be part of that. And I'm going to let you uh, hear from my wife, and she's right next door to me. Here, Beverly. Hi, my name's Beverly, and I've just been having the best time because I'm the only girl here with four handsome gentlemen. But it's, um, it's just been a delight to meet Mark. Yes. AG. Yes, and to meet Captain Jeff for the first time, the handsome gentleman we all see on, te- on the uh, computer. And, of course, we're congratulating Captain Dana for all of his hard work and his success. But it's been really fun, and they've humored me and answered all my girl questions, so it's been cool. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, APG crew. It's AG from Opposing Bases Air Traffic Talk. Um, it is. It has been fantastic to get out here and, and meet Captain Jeff and Dana in person. Um, been looking forward to being able to do that for quite a while um and again owe them a lot of thanks for the start that we got on our podcast uh for the shout outs uh, that they've done and uh i think we share a very similar and very uh, fantastic audience um anyway it's been a great night it was good to meet you all and i'll hand it over to captain jeff it was a pleasure uh, meeting all of you ag opposing bases beverly and Bill, Bill and I, uh, we've met before uh, at uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh. Uh, that was a, a great time. Anyway, so as I always say, that uh, you know, doing the show every week is a lot of fun, but doing what we're doing tonight is really the fruit of the whole thing, getting together and actually talking with the community, not just thinking about what you all are doing out there while we're blabbing along, you know, to actually... Have an interaction with fellow humans is always a, a lot of a, a lot of fun. Wow. wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough from me. Um, take care. All right. That was enough from me and everybody else. So we had a, a really good time there. Uh, great food, by the way, at the Freemason Abbey. If you're ever in uh, the North Virginia area, and I did that one right, didn't I? Pardon Yay. me. I got that one right. That was my suggestion. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'd been there actually before a couple of years ago, and uh, but it was it was some time ago. So, 
Thank you for reintroducing me to the, uh, the wonderful cuisine at the Freemason Abbey. Mm. And it was great to see uh, Bill and uh, A.G. and uh, Bill's uh, beautiful and very perceptive wife, Beverly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's such a sweetheart. Beautiful, <laughs> perceptive, and slightly short-sighted. <laughs> yeah, she has trouble seeing, apparently. All right. So uh, that was uh, day one of our whirlwind three-day tour uh, that Dana and I just returned from. Uh, yesterday, we flew through Atlanta and then up to Columbus, Ohio, where we had yet another meetup. But before I mentioned that, uh, we were at the airport in Atlanta and we were joined by dispatcher Mike. Mike Carroll's uh, got the jump seat and uh, headed up with us. So yes, extreme danger aboard one of Acme's Mad Dogs from Atlanta to Columbus, Ohio. I made the mistake of uh, volunteering to fly that leg. I should have had Dana do it. Uh, but uh, it was. Yeah, a, I'm not sure what you were thinking. I don't know. I don't know. But it was he a wanted, beautiful. He, to, he, 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 he mentioned the fact that he had flown with Mike before, but had not flown Mike before. No right, because Mike had. didn't let me touch the controls yeah, of his the, airplane. Mike did not let you touch controls. So you wanted yeah. to show Mike that you can actually fly an airplane. So you decided to take that leg. I Which did. normally would have been my leg, actually, but that's mm -hmm. okay. I, you know, captain's prerogative, and let uh, Captain Jeff uh, impress Mike. So I said, "Fire away!" And I think I did impress him to, uh, until the very last part of the flight. <laughs> actually, Is I impressed him in negatively. No, Im impress or compress? Uh, compressed to uh, his uh, third and fourth vertebrae. I think. It's no longer no, it Captain Jeff. It's Captain Crunch. Yeah, it wasn't really that bad, but the, everybody's no, giving me a bad wasn't. time about it. But uh, yeah, I could have just used a little bit more back pressure at the very. You know what? I was thinking about it, Dana. Uh, it was so solid and smooth. The the air, everything was so stable and everything else. It was like. Those I usually get the worst landings out of those. If if there were some gusty crosswinds or something like that, it probably would have been a much better like touchdown. today. Yeah, like today up in Grand Rapids when I where yeah. we have twenty nine uh, twenty two gusts and twenty nine something like that. Yeah, it, it was it was a, a squeecher. And, yeah. But hey, I'm not bragging or anything. Um, hmm. But uh, I, I don't, don't think that that one was that one. I wouldn't call a screecher, but I think the the last one that you did in Atlanta, uh, where you uh, made it, uh, you in the in the touchdown zone. Barely. I did. Um, but uh, it was definitely a roller. Is, is that a rare occurrence? Very rare. <laughs> anyway, so everybody it was on the last lane together. I had to make sure it was smooth. And, yeah, and, yeah. and it was, I think they had some Charmin or some, you know, really soft material out on the runway when it touched down because it was chirp. Yeah, he, I was telling him that he actually did. He said, well, I, I, you know, I made it into the touchdown zone. And I said, yeah, from the other end of the runway. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so going back to Columbus and uh, the uh, on social media, I got a lot of um, a lot of very non-constructive criticism from uh, several people, and I'm just letting you know that I'm I, I, I kept keeping notes. Uh, I, I saw you know those of you who uh, gave me a really bad time, and you know that's okay, Jeff. I, never I, mean, I know in your logbook because you keep a logbook currently that you logged three landings on that one landing, no, so that's only okay. Two. <laughs> Okay. Well, anyway, we had a good time. Uh, so Mike, uh, it was it was great having Mike on board with us. And unfortunately, he couldn't stay, so he took the uh, jet back, rode the jet back to Atlanta after uh, arriving in Columbus because he 
just arrived, I think. I was looking at something that uh, showed him uh, arriving at uh, Lakeland uh, Sun and Fun uh, mm-hmm. down in, uh, in Florida. And uh, he uh, needed to get home so he could get a good night's sleep because it was, uh, what do you say, four hours of hand flying the, uh, yeah. the Beechcraft Musketeer down there. Uh, so anyway, that was a and, lot of fun. And, and they and they complain when we don't want to hand fly an airplane because the autopilot's broken. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, okay, he has to have a night, great night's sleep so he can fly an airplane for four hours. So they can trim out. Really? <laughs> Poor boo-boo. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. And uh, so we uh, went back to, or got over to the hotel and uh, again, did some work. And uh, I guess, Dana, you got a workout in and did some studying and I uh, did some work as well. And uh, we met up with some folks uh, right next to the hotel, uh, a new location, the hotel on the, to the north of the Columbus airport. And uh, we went to PF Chang's and had another great meetup. So let me play a little bit of that audio. Yes, it's another APG meetup. We're in Columbus, Ohio. Of course, we have several celebrities here in Columbus, Ohio, one of whom is named Jen Niffer. She has her own aviation blog, and she works at a medium-sized Midwestern airport, I think she says. We all know where that is. It has, I think it's somewhere near Columbus, Ohio. I'm not sure, though. Anyway, so we're sitting at this big table at P.F. Chang's, and I'm going to hand the microphone over to Jen, and she's going to say hi. Hello, APG community. It's Jen Niffer here with Jeff and Dana, and uh, we're having a good time, having dinner, chatting. Uh, it was a lot of fun today. I got to see them land and <laughs> uh, met them at the gate when they came into the airport, so that was a lot of fun. And I don't know, I never have anything exciting to say when we do these, Jeff. I never do either, so join the club. But there's really nothing to say except that it's fun getting together with fellow aviation geeks to talk about. Well, sometimes we actually talk about aviation, but a lot of times we don't talk about it at all. Anyway, uh, Dana, you've heard of this guy. Well, hello again, APG community. Uh, First Officer Dana. Uh, another fantastic meetup, two days in a row. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to ending my career as a first officer on the MD-88, I couldn't ask to end it any better uh, with the last two days in this last trip with Jeff. Yes, this time will actually be the last time because, uh, yeah, I've got a couple other uh, captains I have scheduled to fly with before uh, I take uh, take the left seat. So... I've really enjoyed the time flying with them and meeting up with everybody here in, in Columbus. And, of course, last night, what a fantastic uh, what a fantastic ending. So I'm going to pass it on because everybody's tired of hearing me talk. Bye-bye. We're never tired of hearing Dana talk. But uh, before uh, we get over to James, who's on the way on the other side of the table, we're going to hand it over here to Aviator Steve's. Steve uh, Jones, right? Okay, hang on. Hey everybody, it's Steve from Columbus. I work for uh, Safe Jets here in the USA. Glad I can come out and meet everybody. And uh, glad to see everyone. Jeff, thanks for the beer. My pleasure, my pleasure. And James. So 
Steve from Safe Chats provided a little gift called a Buckeye. If Dana dies, it's really called a poison nut. As long as it's only poison to a Wolverine. So, again, thank you for Jeff and Dana for coming. We all love them, including their sarcastic humor. And most importantly, you, the community, for um, being there and enjoying all the show. Because who can stand three hours other than us crazy Asian geeks? So, again, thank you. And thank you for my mother for coming and wondering why did I ever become an aviation geek. So, thank you, everybody. I'm sealing back the mic for just one second. Thank you very much, Steve. They're on my neck, and they're so light, I completely forgot that I had them around my neck. So thank you for bringing me to the Ohio Buckeyes. And uh, one other thing, we we need a shout-out to Mike. He came on the jump seat with us today, and that was very enjoyable as well to have him along. So we can't forget to give a a good shout-out to him as well. Well, it may uh, have been enjoyable for you, but not for me. And... The last thing I'm going to say is the Buckeye is so appropriate, a poisonous nut that really describes Dana, a poisonous nut. All right. We're out. <laughs> we're, we're out from P.F. Chang's in Easton, Ohio. Bye. Now back to you, Jeff, in the studio. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Ah. What a lovely transition that this was. Is, uh, yeah, I think I know what the name of this show is going to be, the one with all the meetups. Oh, I was going to call it Poisonous Nuts. Or Poisonous Nuts. Yeah, yeah that's another good one. Uh, see, I have them on. Is somebody writing I'm this down, them. I hope? <laughs> I, my, I, can my, I have nuts around my neck. <laughs> I can. Yes, well, uh, we really don't want to say much more about that. Well, um, no, we're just going to talk about my Poisonous Nuts right here. So mm. they're perfect. Please don't. Okay, uh, let's see. And then finally, as I mentioned uh, before I started playing all these feedbacks for our uh, meetup uh, audios from this trip that we just got back from, uh, I think uh, earlier, a few days back uh, or sometime, I don't know, I was talking with somebody and maybe it was you, Dana, and and uh, said, did I ever play that audio from, or maybe you asked me, I don't remember how this thing transpired. I asked you in the car if you ever played it. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. And I said, the uh, car. hmm, in the, in the car for everybody else. Um, and I said, um, hmm, I don't think I did. And uh, so I, uh, I found it on the Zoom H5 recorder, still sitting there, just waiting for me to give it some attention. And so, and this was the last time that Dana and I were together a couple of weeks ago in, in Omaha. So let me play that. And again, apologies to those who are, were involved in that meetup. I did not mean to, uh, you know, blow it off. We're at Blatt's Beer and Table in Omaha, north downtown. And we had a meetup here. We just finished, Dana and I finished recording episode, what was it, 317? And we almost ran over here. Because we knew that there were some people coming down from, all, driving all the way from Lincoln uh, to uh, do this meetup. And uh, some people that Dana know as well. And so we, uh, how many, we had like eight to ten people, something like that. Um, uh, Todd was here earlier. He's a uh, contractor here in Omaha. And he had to leave because he had like real work to do. And uh, so, Todd, sorry we didn't get a recording while you were here. Anyway. Enjoyed great uh, food and uh, good beer and great, of course, as I always say, the best part of it is great conversation. Uh, We're all pilots here for the most part, and uh, Dirk uh, contacted me 
when he saw that I was going to be here in Omaha and said, hey, you know, if you're available, let's do a meetup. And I said, absolutely. And at that, that time, we didn't know that Dana was going to be on the, on the trip with me. So um, I said, let's do this. And so we put out some feelers and, you know, let everybody know we were going to be here today. So I'm just going to pass the microphone around just for a quick little um, feedback thing for the, uh, for the meetup. And uh, let's start off with Dirk Brom. Or Brom. Brom. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the, the former doctor and now current Citation jet pilot. Take it away, Dirk. I just want to say thanks to uh, Jeff and Dana, and it's great that uh, they could both be here. And, and I, I got to tell you how impressed I am because these guys were up at 4.30 a.m. Um, in Atlanta, which is, I think, 3.30 a.m. Uh, Central Time. And right now it is uh, 7.15, and they've got an early flight in the morning, and uh, we've just had a great time, and they're still going uh, great guns. Uh, way to go, guys. And uh, it's fun to see uh, both of them here. I know Dana, it's a special day for him uh, to be able to fly with Jeff and, to, um, you know, one of his last few <laughs> flights as a first officer. So uh, appreciate him taking his time, too, and it's fun to meet both of you. So appreciate it. Next. Hi, this is uh, Joe Bud. I'm also a citation pilot and uh just want to say first of all that dana is way better looking in person than he sounds on the podcast <laughs> sexy bitch <laughs> okay seriously though <laughs> but actually no we had a great time uh talking airplanes and drinking beers and doing pilot things so i appreciate you guys coming out and uh, taking your time for us Uh, Jonathan Rabick. Uh I just uh, enjoyed coming out, drinking some beers, talking airplanes. Relax. <laughs> Relax. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was a good time. Thanks. Yeah, just an unbelievable meetup here in Omaha with these guys. Uh, really appreciate them driving all the way here from the uh, Lincoln area. And uh, what else do I say? It's just great talking aviation. I had a fantastic day here with Jeff, and I'm glad these guys came in to share such a special experience because, honestly, this is probably the last night that Jeff and I, uh, well, it is the last night that we're going to have our night together. So um, just special that these guys can come down and spend it with us and, and took the time to, to drive over an hour to, to be here with us. And I don't know, Joe. I'm cuter in person. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, really. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you know, obviously, obviously, Joe needs some glasses. I mean, he, I don't know how he's going to pass his FAA medical next time without glasses. So anyways, we're having a good time here and, and really enjoyed the, the company tonight. So we'll see you next time. Bye. You know, I don't think I've ever seen Dana blush as much <laughs> as he is right now. It's amazing. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, what else can be said? We had a great time, and uh, uh, if uh, we're in your town in the future, please make sure that you uh, join us because it's worth it. Okay, you'll be happy to learn that I think that's the last piece of meetup audio that you'll hear on today's show. Well, that one was totally worth 
playing. I'm yeah, glad it you was. We had a great time. I had no idea what to say. <laughs> well, and, um, let's see. Wow. The uh, discussion in the chat room has been very interesting. Uh, referring back to uh, the uh, uh, the necklace that uh, Dana was wearing, I just thought of one thing what that I'm I, still I, wearing. I wanted to play, still or still wearing. On. Here we go. No, I, I prefer Siemens. That was, uh, <laughs> Okay. Um. <laughs> that was a very inside joke for people in the chat room. And I don't know what uh, you're just I'm, I'm to audio. Get one of those buzzers. That, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I prefer <laughs> I'll take that out. <laughs> That's some rough context. I'm not sure what the context was there. I'm sure it was out of context. I I don't think it'll ever matter. (laughs) All right. So, uh, blessing. Look how red Jeff is. The last. You can't see. No, you can't see this if you're listening to to the podcast. But Joe, I mean Joe, Jeff. Yeah, it's almost as red as the airplane sign behind him. The red airplane Uh, sign. It's funny. Anyway, so last thing we're going to say maybe about meetups on this show is that uh, we may not uh, we may have another one in New York City next week on Tuesday. Actually, just uh, not too long from now, uh, just under a week. I'll be there and uh, at the Roosevelt Hotel in New York City, Manhattan, and hopefully we'll be able to come up with some kind of a, an arrangement for a meetup there. And so I'm looking forward to that. And what else? Oh, and uh, no, that's not the last thing about meetups. I'm going to say uh, dispatcher Mike. I just mentioned he's down at, uh, in Florida for Sun and Fun. And he said that he is going to plan on having some sort of meetup uh, Friday at noon in front of the FAA building. And you can let him know if you'll be there to meet up with him and the others by contacting him at contact at flyingandlife.com. And he said he's also giving a forum entitled Planning Your GA Flight Like It Was an Airliner. And that will be on Saturday, if you're down there, at 1 p.m. at CFAA 5. So, What's he going to do with the 300 passengers to pitch up for his GA flight? Hmm. I don't know. Call you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick, can you come over here with, with one of those Acme Red airplanes to take them flying for me, Nick, will you? Yeah, no problems. Uh, yeah, I'll, I've got nothing better to do right now, so why not? <laughs> why not? Get get current, get some touch and goes in, right? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Or three bounces, whichever way you want to do it. Hey, it looks like there's, there's going to be another meetup uh, down under uh, at the Wings over Illawarra. Is that the way you pronounce that? On the 6th of May, it's an APG slash PTUK meetup. And it's going to be next to the broadcast tower at 10 a.m. on Saturday, Saturday, the 5th of May, where your, oh, why is it? I'm sorry. Those two, those are two different dates. One they says are. the 6th and one says the 5th. But anyway, whatever day Saturday is. Um, the 5th. I know that day very well. Okay. Meet up in at the broadcast tower and wear your APG or PTUK t-shirt for a group photo. So again, well, May the fifth is Saturday in the UK. I don't know what it is in Australia. <laughs> they do everything differently there. Hopefully, so. it's 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 the day they took away from me, so I can go start training on May fifth, Cinco de Mayo, my oh, favorite there you holiday. Go. Cinco de Mayo, okay, American um, 
holiday. And that was from, by the way, Matt Buntingframe, MBF we call him. And uh, uh, he didn't leave us a, a way to get in touch. But hey, if you're there at the Wings over Illawarra uh, broadcast tower, 10 a.m. Saturday, the 5th of May, wear your APG or PTUK t-shirt or both for the group photo. Okay. Well, Matt's in the uh, chat room, so perhaps he can clarify. Yes, Matt, if you, uh, if you have like uh, an email that you want me to put in the show notes, just let me know, okay? Or it may not be a bad thing to post in Slack as well if it's not already there. That is a good point. It probably is there. I don't know. I, haven't, uh, I don't recall. Well um, uh, also need to mention that, and I meant to read this last uh, episode and I forgot. Um, you know, again, we're always striving for the, the most accuracy as possible, but um, sometimes we miss the mark like about half the time. Um, Anthony Holloway uh, sent us a message in episode 312. You guys were talking about the Aleutian 62 landing in Stolen on a dirt strip where Otto Lilienthal. Uh, Lilienthal accomplished his first few flights. I just wanted to let you know that the Russian pilots actually were German pilots. So I think I must well, have they, said... They were German pilots rushing around, isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. They were Russian German pilots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Russian. Very fast. Captain Heinz Dieter Kalbach, or Kalbach, Co-pilot Peter Blay, frequent eater, <laughs> Ulrich Mueller, <laughs> frequent eater. Maybe he's a, a man of size or something. I don't know. And uh, nav- <laughs> that's one of the crew positions. Frequent eater, Ulrich, Ulrich Mueller, and navigator Rudolf Doge. And he says, thanks for the great show. Love the content. Kind regards from Frankfurt. So thank you, Anthony, for, for uh, straightness, straightening, straightening us out. Wow. It's, uh, it's been a long day. It's been a very yeah, long. Yeah, we're unfortunately, we're back below fifty percent. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> well, we're going to strive to get that thing above the fifty uh, percent level on this show. <laughs> Don't hold your breath, though. Yeah. Good luck with I that. Wouldn't, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No. no not. Not going to happen. Okay, so uh, Captain Nick, have you been doing anything interesting lately? <laughs> no, <laughs> just horrible things. <laughs> horrible things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, despite the fact that uh, I'm not able to actually fly right now, I had uh, two days in the simulator, and uh, I, you know, we, 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 other people love the concept of going and playing with a full motion, uh, full visual simulator. They think it's a great idea for us. Of course, it can be, uh, you know, two days of torment. And sadly, uh, it proved to be such. The uh, the trainer I was with was being checked, so he was on his sharpest of uh, metals, and um, so it was actually quite hard work. Finished off with um, a little reminder that when we start flying, we're in a bracket of unconscious incompetency, so that we we don't realize that we are incompetent because we don't know how big the task ahead is. Uh, slowly as we start to realize how hard it is to become a, an airline pilot, we become consciously incompetent. Uh, so we realize that we're not yet clever enough and uh, we're working towards becoming consciously competent, which is what you are when you're a good airline pilot. And he reminded me that towards the end of your career, you slip back into unconscious incompetency, uh, which left me sitting there going, oh, great. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
How yeah. nice of you to say Bloody so. brilliant. <laughs> yeah, well, that's left me feeling really good. Thanks very much indeed, Brian. I um, think that just means he's no way he's just saying you're old. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a very nice way of saying it. Anyway, yeah, so that was fine. Done two solid days in the box. <laughs> was that? I just wrote down consciously card? competent. That might be another oh, title idea. <laughs> <laughs> There's already, we're like not even an hour in and so many good show titles. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, well, to choose. A, a multi-titled show. Um, so two days in the box. Uh, started up pretty early this morning. We were in the box at 6.30. And uh, as soon as I came out and finished the debrief, had to dash off uh, for an appointment, uh, hour and a half away in Point, Portsmouth. That took a while. And then uh, I got home at about sort of five. It's been a long old day. So uh, uh, it's pleasant to see you guys again, see some happy, smiling faces. The only real bit from me, though, is that because uh, I'm both uh, not current on the uh, 340 at the moment because I'm still waiting a 340 sim, I'm only currently current on the 330. I'm not actually able to exercise my privileges because my medical is currently suspended. So um, I was going to be on a New York tomorrow, and I was going to meet up with Jonathan Alexanderatos, who you will all remember uh, took the photographs in Flushing Meadows of um, uh, Eugene, the very first a black fighter pilot in the world of his uh, last place of rest, uh, which uh, it features on Plain Tales on that uh, particular story uh, as the title image. And why well, I wanted to personally thank Jonathan uh, for doing that uh, and buy him a beer, but sadly I won't be there. So that meeting is probably not going to go ahead now, or certainly the, the meetup that he was uh, trying to organize. Just, uh, just to remind everybody, uh, you're going to be, I guess, sort of grounded for the next couple of months. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on, on. I won't be getting anywhere for uh, at least seven weeks, uh, probably a little longer, because mm -hmm. uh, I'll then have to uh, uh, go and have various checkups to get my medical back. I'm not in any concern. The medical will happen again. This is just one of those precautions when you uh, change a, a medicine uh, that you're on that uh, might possibly, even in the remotest chance, uh, affect your ability to. Uh, to fly then uh, and because this is a relatively new drug it's a fairly long period that i will be uh, sitting on the ground uh not much else i can do i shall be here and available for apgs i'll try and put some crew logs but nothing very exciting happening in my life so i won't have much to say I'm afraid. well that never stopped any of us <laughs> <laughs> all right uh steph what have you been up to anything uh Fun, interesting. Oh, I think no, you may have been. Nothing. Didn't, huh? Let's see. Didn't you do some skydiving after we recorded no, the last show? That was before. Oh, okay. I didn't do anything this past weekend. Just kind of chilled, huh? Yeah, I had a very nice, relaxing weekend. So. Didn't I see some pictures of your feet? Um, probably. <laughs> my feet. Well, we're not yeah, going to talk about that feet, on the show. Sticking uh, <laughs> out over the lake. No, you're that was before that. No, no. That was that was two weekends ago. I think. I'm not going to talk okay. about Nick's oh, foot fetish. Way behind the times here. <laughs> Great. So. See that Sim Sim instructor was right. <laughs> Consciously incompetent. Incompetent. What was no, it? Unconsciously incompetent. Unconscious. Oh, unconsciously incompetent. Yeah, that's no, that's when you uh, right. that's when you get an old and you don't realize that uh, you've become incompetent. You still think you're uh, you're pretty sharp and on the ball, 
didn't. But like Captain so Mel, you've become unconsciously incompetent. Jeez. So oh, anyway, sorry. I should have thought of someone that's not in the chat room, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Too bad he won't be able to defend himself there. No, no. Um, no, I just had a really nice, relaxing weekend because I've got a couple weekends of travel coming up. So, um, heading up to Boston on Friday evening. I'll be there in, for a couple of days and running the marathon next week, and then marathon in Germany thirteen days later. So, mm, a lot of running. That sounds like fun. It's going to be great. Hey, Steph, do you see the yeah. shirt that I'm wearing? In I your do. Honor? I do. Boston strong. Yep. Awesome. Hey, hey guys. Uh, jo- Josine uh, LaFontaine in the chat room has uh, reminded us all that uh, becoming unconsciously incompetent is the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is in the field of psychology. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias wherein people of low ability suffer from illusory, illusory superiority, mistakenly assessing their cognitive ability as greater than it is. That makes me you feel so much pictures, better. Do our pictures <laughs> appear below that definition? All four of them? Thank, you. Thank you very much indeed. They've just made my night. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, yeah. now they're going to rename it uh, instead of Dunning Kruger, it's going to be Nicholas Anderson effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, only if I take 300 screaming passengers with me. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh boy. <laughs> Should I like to cut that one out too? <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see, Dana. Um, probably not much going on with you other than the great trip that we just had. Um, anything else to add? Yeah, I just want to add a few comments to that. Uh, yes, a very unexpected uh, occurrence to happen to uh, be able to fly with you again, Jeff. And again, a true honor and a pleasure for. Uh, for me to be able to do so. I know most of our listeners out there would love to be in my shoes and uh, what everybody out there thinks and expects uh, that Jeff would be like to fly with is uh, probably, as he sticks his finger in his mouth, that's not correct. Um, He is truly a a gentleman to fly with. I certainly have enjoyed uh, every opportunity that I've had to be in the sky with him. Uh, also, I'll uh, hand out to our listeners uh, that uh, came out for our meetups over the last couple of weeks. I, I learned so much, and, and one of the things I really learned is how much the, the community really loves um, the effect that we have on them as well as uh, what they do for us individually. Uh, it, it is a two-way street. It's just not uh, us putting a product out and hoping that you like it. We like to hear that you do like it and uh, learn uh, specifically from a couple of our listeners how it really positively affects their life. And I have to say it's uh, been a real positive effect in my life. And on that note, Jeff, I quit today. No, we were only joking in the last couple of days. So, um, but uh, seriously, uh, really a, a true pleasure um, meeting everybody this week, especially being alongside Jeff. Uh, it, it really gave me a whole new perspective as to uh, what we actually do here at APG. So thank you to all of you that, that take the time to listen to us, that come out and visit us um, on our layovers and uh, contribute to the show. And thank you to the, you know, to Steph, Jeff, and of course, Nick, uh, for everything you do to make this show, because we do really have a big impact on our on our, on our listeners. So that's all I want to say on that. And uh, really, will miss uh, flying with Jeff. I honestly, truly, as I said in that uh, um, 
audio feedback. I, and it will probably be was today, the last time I was flying with Jeff. So a little choked up about it because uh, truly enjoy flying with a true gentleman like Jeff. And I only hope I can be half as good a captain as Jeff uh, is. Well, you'll, you'll be at, uh, at least as good or better than, than me, I'm sure. Okay. Awesome. We call it the mutual appreciation show. That's right. We could yeah, write that one down too. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, call the kiss blank show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kissing his proverbial. That's all right. We got it the first time. Yeah, we, we understand. <laughs> all right. Get that moving on, moving on. Family show. Family show. Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right, we're playing the Java Jive because that signals our segment uh, regarding the coffee fund, the uh, way that you can support the show financially. And you'll note that we don't have any ads on the show. It's all user-supported. You, out there listening, uh, those of you who have decided to uh, give us a dollar or two or a shekel or a pound or whatever it is, whatever your currency is, we do appreciate that. And a couple different ways to do it, the classic method and the patron method. And uh, since the last show, Jennifer Adams, I forgot to thank you personally yesterday for your very nice contribution to the Coffee Fund, Jennifer. Um, Francois Schott uh, also gave us a very generous contribution. Thank you, Francois. And Jeff Muller, he gives us a recurring donation via the Classic Fund and our Classic Method. And Patreon, that's uh, patreon.com slash guy. We have a new producer, Dave Baran. Thank you, Dave, for joining the Coffee Fund Cadre. We hope uh, that uh, you enjoy the APG crew logs. And if you want to learn more about the Coffee Fund, again, that's airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. Okay, let's start off with uh, this first item. The FAA has uh, put out a safety alert for operators regarding smoke and fumes and odors in flight. And this uh, SAFO or SAFO, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I've been saying SAFO, but it's probably more like SAFO because it's safety related. Serves to identify a need to enhance flight crew procedures that mitigate the risk to passengers and crew in the event of odors, smoke, and or fumes. And uh, the background of this in-flight odor, smoke, and or fume events can occur without overt visual and or olfactory cues to mitigate adverse health consequences to passengers and crew prompt and decisive action is critical so it's warning the uh, carriers out there that they should make sure that they have sufficient procedures to handle these kind of uh, events and how to mitigate them and 
I'm not sure on the timing of this if it had anything to do at all with something that uh, Simon on the Aviation Herald put out last week, and it was in regard to a uh, an incident that occurred back in 2015, and uh, it was something that kind of was under the radar and wasn't reported really widely. Um, it was a Spirit A319 uh, traveling from Chicago O'Hare to Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, they reached the top of descent into Boston when a strong odor of dirty socks occurred. And the first thing, of course, we all do is look over at the first officer and tell him to put his shoes back on. But in this case, it was uh, not the case of the... Uh, real dirty socks. It was that air conditioning smell that we sometimes get. And both flight crew became aware of the odor when ATC called to hand them off to the next frequency. Both flight crew were unable to interpret the frequency and unable to select the new frequency until they finally managed to write it down after several repeats by air traffic control and process it from there. Operating increasingly erratically, the first officer finally donned his oxygen mask, recovered a bit, and recognized that the captain had sunk into his seat and was incapacitated. The first officer put the oxygen mask on the captain, too, who subsequently began to recover as well. The flight crew managed to land the aircraft without further incident. However, they did not recall how they managed to land or taxi the aircraft. Both flight crew continued two more sectors the next day and a night's rest at a hotel. Then both pilots went to see the see their respective doctors. The captain was diagnosed with internal bleeding and abnormal blood values in, uh, consistent with TOCP. Toxic, uh, what's the CP mean? Toxic something I poisoning? I don't know which maybe, TOCP stands um, for. Maybe carbon, maybe it's supposed to be like toxic a, carbon monoxide poisoning? I don't know. No, there's a... I don't know. I'm searching now, so I'm not okay. sure. There's like this. Well, just, there's different chemical substances, tricrystal phosphate, and oh, yeah, I bet that's um, it. I bet that's, that's used it. in like plastic, um, yeah, varnishes and polyvinyl chloride and. Ooh. Well, uh, you know, we've we've talked about fume events before on the show, uh, and a lot of the times they've uh, kind of identified or suspected uh, uh, an additive to aviation uh, jet turbine oil. Uh, which is one of those uh, phosphates that you were talking about there, Steph. And uh, so maybe that's to what he's referring. Anyway, both flight crew were sick with diarrhea, vomiting, tremors, body shakes, and feeling of tiredness that began to subside only after a couple of days. The first officer returned to duty about a week later. The captain returned to duty a couple of days after the first officer, however, was described as unconcentrated and erratic through the following flights, developing eye-hand coordination issues and increasingly unusual behavior. On September 5th, 2015, 50 days after the occurrence, the captain died. According to the captain's family, the official cause of his passing was a heart attack. Uh, so let's see. Dr. Michael Mulder, a former airline pilot for KLM and an aviation medical examiner for the FAA, has spent the last 10 years on fundamental research regarding long term effects of exposure to contaminated air and jet aircraft. Um, anyway, this, this goes on. It's qu quite a long. Uh, article in the Aviation Herald, and in, uh, we've talked about uh, aerotoxic syndrome, I believe, uh, a few times on the on the show. And um, so, I'm not sure if this was just coincident with the publishing of the SAFO uh, on uh, odors, fumes, smoke, events in flight that the FAA published 
or if it had something to do with this uh, event that has been discussed on the Aviation Herald. So I just thought I'd mention on the show. Yeah, I don't know. I still don't have any good information about whatever that um, chemical is. I think triorthocrystal phosphate. Crystal phosphate. Sure, it's in this uh, in this article somewhere. I looked, I looked more through the article. I didn't see it listed oh. anywhere else. Doesn't mean it's not there. I just yeah. was skimming. But uh, regardless, um, doesn't sound like had a very good effect on either one of them. And unfortunately, especially so for the captain. So, but I don't know exactly how it would have, you know, gotten into the cockpit and created a fume like that. I have no idea. So, yeah. Um, well, it, it gets in from engine oil. That's how it gets into the cockpit. Uh, through the, is that where it came from in the first place? System. Yeah. Yeah. Be, you know, because of the, um, compressed air and is somehow leaking the oil leaking through the seals that's supposed to, you know, keep it from contaminating the uh, air and gotcha. going through the uh, air conditioning packs and then eventually into the cabin and cockpit of the uh, aircraft. And uh, it's an organophosphate uh, that is added to aviation engine oils uh, to uh-huh. reduce wear. I think I found the paragraph that. Yep. There it is. You got it. it. Yeah. And uh, the uh, it, symptoms include stomach cramping, muscle aches, sinus congestion, which may be mistaken for flu or food poisoning and can lead to a delayed onset of OPICN, organophosphate induced chronic neurotoxicity. Toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, again, you know, I, I don't know, you know, we, Captain Nick and I have talked about this before and in our own anecdotal experience uh it's not something that we've heard much about uh but it seems to be being talked about much more uh in recent time and uh and it seems to me i don't know it's maybe not just exclusive to the airbus fleet but it seems like a lot of these incidents occur on airbuses and i'm not sure if that has something to do with the the way the the whole system's designed and what do you think about that nick no, I, I think it's uh, it seems to affect quite a, a, a broad brush of engine types. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, that's right. The uh, BA rollers, GA, Gs, um, yeah, the uh, so, uh, yeah. There are a lot of them are being uh, reported. Uh, I don't know whether it's uh, that just some operators are more uh, who happen to have Airbuses are, are more receptive to the reporting or not, mm-hmm. uh, or some pilots uh, happen to fly Airbus have been just more severely affected on their particular cases. But I, I don't think that's a, it's a type re- relative thing. It's uh, I think it's a general problem for us all. Yeah. So we'll put a link to this article. You can read the whole thing. As I said, it's quite long, and uh, as Fabian said in the uh, chat room, uh, the uh, following paragraphs that I ne- I didn't get to uh, get quite uh, interesting and uh, it you know makes you think about well maybe there is something to this and uh, something that uh, not only pilots are exposed to but passengers as well now in this case I, I don't recall any mention at all of uh, passengers feeling unwell uh, but. Um, you know, it gets your it gets your attention when you hear after this event that uh, the captain passed away. And again, it may have been related, maybe not. 
Yeah, but it, I mean, there certainly seems to be a, a quite a close link between the uh, side effects of this, the, the nerve damage that can be done, and heart-related problems. So, uh, uh, you know, people are looking at it going, well, this, uh, you know, it, one plus one might equal two here. So, um, yeah, I'm with you, Jeff. Uh, uh, the more information we get, the more um, we're going to be educated and the greater chance that we're going to treat this sort of an occurrence with uh, the seriousness that it might now deserve. Um, I'm just looking at my own personal checklists, uh, the company issue, um, to see whether they specifically mention a procedure for um, fumes that could be oil coming from the engines. We have a generic smoke and fumes, an avionic smoke drill, um, but funny and odd thing, the, uh, the only thing that they specifically mention uh, for toxicity is a leak of rain repellent fluid that was considered uh, so toxic that it was actually removed from the aircraft some 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so we haven't had that fitted since. Um, but uh, they do say uh, these are all smoke and fumes. So, you know, fumes can, I always have considered that, particularly during simulator training, as being fire-related. But of course, it doesn't have to be fire related. A fume can fumes can come from many sources, and of course, part of the drills, if you suspect it's from air conditioning, and if you think it is uh, uh, an oil fume, then you're going to go for the packs and uh, uh, perhaps turn off uh, one pack at a time, try and isolate which side it's coming from, and then leave that side selected off until you. Uh, I uh, can get it on the ground. Um, or if absolutely necessary, you disassemble it 10,000 feet, turn them all off. Uh, so there are cures for this, but um, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. With more, I don't know about your aircraft type, but with mine, with more um, technical knowledge, you can just try isolating the bleeds from those engines rather than just turning the packs off, mm-hmm. um, which might be a, a better way of isolating uh, which engine it is that's producing the fume. Great discussion going on in the chat room, uh, uh, led by Captain Al. Um, he said it's more of a function of oil type specified by the engine manufacturer, and it's it's more of a engine related issue, not so much the airframe, uh, which uh, you know we've been saying here. Um, and the uh, he said you need to look up the uh, episode of Richard Westgate, a uh, British Airways pilot who died, and was a friend of Captain Al's. It seems to be. Um, more prevalent in certain engine types that run at uh, very high oil pressures. And that makes sense. You know, that's going to be more uh, likely to breach the seal that's supposed to keep it separated from the uh, compressed air. And uh, yeah, wow. Lots of uh, stuff to consider here. I think too. Sorry, Steph, go ahead. Did it say in the article that they... They actually flew again before going to the hospital. Oh yeah. After yeah. That that I, I mean, found quite surprising. And there's also I'm surprised I didn't go immediately. Yeah, there's also uh, I, I'm not quite sure if it's in this area, but there was a, a suggestion that their chief pilot came on board the aircraft and uh, persuaded them to carry on flying in one case. So I was going mm. really mm. wow. Yeah, I think uh, that uh, there were some comments made regarding this. Um, you know, they they could not remember landing or taxiing in but and they went to layover and then the next day they flew a couple of 
segments. Yeah, that's exactly like, what hmm, I'm thinking if I don't remember landing or taxi I'm again, get out. I'm thinking maybe something yeah. might, might be wrong. I'm gonna report unfit for duty. And yeah. yeah. Very strange. And uh, Mind you, if, you, if you're down route and you don't have an airline that supports you in this sort of thing and doesn't provide you with uh, medical assistance uh, and you're left it to your own resources to go and get a checkout, that's not as easily said as uh, as done as it is said. Well, that and you wonder, too, if how much their, you know, ability to make good judgment has been affected. Good well, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. it's almost in the same realm of if you're super fatigued. Uh, you need you need to call in fatigued. Well, sometimes you're just so fatigued that you don't even realize how fatigued you are. In this case, I think they may have not even realized the condition that they were truly in. Maybe they were, you know, doing the typical thing that we tr tend to, tr to do when we try to put a halt to it, and that is that we're mission-oriented. We want to get the job done, so they probably went to the hotel feeling, well, you know, I was just that tired, and let's go get some rest and start the day fresh and new. So there's there's all those possibilities there that, that didn't uh, – didn't calculate in, and, and of course, obviously, their their decision making skills were impacted uh, certainly by this uh, product. So, of course, uh, the chat room making the good point that the uh, the Dreamliner, the seven eight seven, doesn't use uh, engine bleed air to pressurize the cabin, so there's no introduction of air from the engine. So they use electrical compressors. Uh, and I don't think this is why they went down that route, but the great advantage of going down that route is that there's no contact between the air that you're getting in the cabin and the engine, so that this couldn't happen on a Dreamliner. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that that's kind of going retro, right? I mean, uh, in the old days uh, before turbines, uh, that was kind of the way they they compressed the air and pressurized airplanes, right? So. No, I thought you used to have a bicycle pump. <laughs> no, I'm not referring <laughs> to me. It was before my day. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, says someone who is older than me. <sighs> All right. Uh, <laughs> well, that's enough for us to discuss uh, on that today, but I'm sure it won't be the last time that uh, we'll be discussing fume events. And uh, I'm hoping that, you know, if if this is actually occurring more more often, more frequently, that uh, they do ice or figure out what it is that's going on here and and beef up those seals so that that this doesn't happen again. It's a uh, not a good thing. A mad dog, a mad dog, runway overrun at Sioux Falls, South Dakota. This is from uh, one of our APG community members, and I didn't write down his name darn it anyway hey abg crew i was flying near sioux falls and heard an aircraft being diverted from fsd in response to the airport closing following a runway overrun i looked into it and apparently an allegiant mad dog was involved no injuries fortunately and uh, here let me look in the info here to see so it phil. wasn't dan renner that was the uh, no it was uh, phil timmer that uh, did that uh, I, I just figured it out thank you and uh, so thank you, Phil, for that. And then uh, there uh, also another APG community member, Dan Renner, um, uh, tweeted this. Uh, he was at the airport and uh, he took his camera out, took some pictures. And in fact, several uh, news outlets asked permission for them to use his pictures in their reporting of this. And he says in his tweet, 
the uh, Allegiant MD-80 overran runway 21 at FSD by about 20 feet in the snow up here this afternoon. So, of course, I went and took some pics for you. Look, an actual usage of the rear stairs for deplaning. So uh, there are a couple of pictures there in his tweet. And then, of course, the uh, Aviation Herald covered it as well. And uh, they were flying from Las Vegas to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and uh, had been advised 1800 RVR on runway 21. And the braking action was reported good. The aircraft performed the ILS approach for runway 21 and landed on runway 21. On rollout, the crew reported the braking action was nil. No, no friction whatsoever, and subsequently advised that they had gone beyond the runway and were off the runway. The aircraft came to a stop about 20 feet past the runway end. No injuries, and the aircraft received minor, if any, damage. So, there you have it. That much snow on April 8th. I will not be moving to South Dakota anytime soon. (laughs) No? No. Were you considering it before this incident stuff? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> it's just, just further cemented my decision. Okay. Confirmed. So what uh, liability does the airport carry? I don't know. Because, I mean, if they report it as being good, don't they have some responsibility to update that if it's obviously nil? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it was, it was a, a, a very um, dynamic situation. Things were changing rapidly. Uh, they, this freak snowfall it was almost like blizzard conditions i saw some other pictures when i was searching for this uh incident uh, i did a search on the internet to see you know what was going on in sioux falls and it it happened so recently that uh, there was nothing about this incident but there were a bunch of pictures of people you know showing what it looked like out their window or driving around in the car and it was almost you know zero visibility and uh, blizzard whiteout conditions so i think that uh, everything was happen, happening so quickly, and maybe they relied upon that breaking action report that perhaps wasn't accurate. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what the liability is, Nick, for the uh, airport. It's interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Anyway, just thought we'd mention that. Anytime we see something well, going on with Mad Dog. Mad Dog. Yeah, the poor Mad Dog. I think that was an MD-83, if I'm not mistaken. Um. This was an interesting one. Um, a Mega Antonov 26 at Kuajok and Wow. Wow. On April 5th, 2018, a cow strike on takeoff. <laughs> Left main gear collapse on landing. <laughs> the uh, Mega Airlines Antonov AN 26 on behalf of Ultimate Air. Uh, performing a cargo flight uh, with five crew and a cargo of medical stocks for UNICEF, landed on WOW's runway 9 at about 1,600 local. However, on touchdown, the left main gear collapsed. The aircraft came to a stop on the runway near the left edge, about 3,600 feet past the runway threshold. No injuries uh, were reported. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. The, what about the cow? Well, Wow Airport reported. Let's, let's just say they were having uh, hamburgers for <laughs> yeah. some steak. The uh, they they yeah. uh, an aviation source provided additional photos and reported the aircraft struck a cow with its left main gear on departure from Kuajok. The fate of the cow is unknown. <laughs> well, we have a feeling. <laughs> There's a lot of blood at the undercarriage, so yeah. I'm guessing it didn't come off too well. No, no, no not at all. 
Interesting Dana one. Dana would have been in there like Flynn, wouldn't he? I would have been right there with my green egg, pulling right yep. up next to it. Let's go. Nice <laughs> one. Let's go. Fresh kill, right? Party. I tell you, that guy in the pink shirt that's standing with his hands on his hips beside the broken gear does not look a happy man. No. He's like, oh, this is not what I needed today. <laughs> yep. Yeah, doesn't look happy at all. All right. Uh, here's a sad piece of news. A uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, a um, what was it? A Piper uh, oh, it PA twenty four. Yes, well, I've got one of those on my license. Do you? Yeah. Um, was. Well, I'm not sure exactly what happened. Let me get to the body of this. According to Scottsdale Police, the crash happened at the TPC Scottsdale Golf Course near Bell and Hayden Roads at approximately 8.45 p.m. They believe the aircraft, a Piper PA-24, originated from Scottsdale Airport and crashed shortly after takeoff. There were six people aboard the plane, and no one survived. So that's sad news. I have a question. How do you have that on your... Reading or ticket, Nick. I uh, I had to do a civilian instrument rating uh, after I left the air force. Uh, it must, I think it must have been a PA thirty four. Is that the twin engine one? It's a PA. That's that's a paper. Yeah, um, thirty four. Um, yeah, it cost me ten grand. That did. Oh Archer. my gosh! No, 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 sure. Um, no. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm having a brain fat. It's the Seneca. Seneca. That's it. Seneca. And the PA twenty four is the Comanche. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they have rating for it because here in the states. Oh, it's not. It's yeah. not current. Don't worry. Relax. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, as long as we're talking about crashes and bad news, let's move on to F. Uh, Algerian military plane, uh, a uh, an Aleutian. Uh, where is it? Heck, I can't find the number of the airplane. Seventy-six. A 76, okay. An Aleutian 76, thank you. Carrying soldiers and their families crashed soon after takeoff in a farm field in northern Algeria uh, today, earlier today, killing 257 people in what appeared to be the worst plane crash in the North African nation's history. Uh, the cause of the crash is unclear and an investigation has been opened. So uh, that's, a, again, more sad news. Algerian military plane. I didn't realize it was also their families as well. I just thought it was uh, soldiers, but uh, I think they were heading down toward the southern part of the country. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, there it is. That's a that's a, that's a big passenger load. Yeah, that's really huge. Terrible. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about in the news today is this: uh, European air traffic warned over Syria strikes. Eurocontrol has published a rapid alert notification on their website with a statement from EASA that reads, due to the possible launch of airstrikes into Syria with air-to-ground and or cruise missiles within the next 72 hours, and the possibility of intermittent disruption of radio navigation equipment, due consideration needs to be taken when planning flight operations in the eastern Mediterranean and Nicosia, is that the way you pronounce that, Nicosia? Nicosia, uh, Okay, yes. uh, FIR uh, area. Very few commercial flights operate over Syria, and authorities in the U.S., the U.K., France, and Germany have all previously issued warnings for Syrian airspace. But many airlines regularly trans transit the 
LCCC, Nicosia, FIR. There are frequent holiday flights to the main Cypriot airports of Larnaca or Larnaca or Larnaca. Larnaca. Larnaca and Pathos. Overflight traffic from Europe to the likes of Beirut. Amman uh, and Tel Aviv, as well as traffic from Istanbul heading south to the Gulf and beyond. And uh, it goes on to say, last year, two U.S. warships in the Eastern Med fired missiles at an airbase in Syria after a chemical weapons attack by the Assad regime, uh, killing more than 80 people. The chemical attack, I think. This week, following another suspected chemical attack by the Syrian government against civilians in a rebel-held town in Syria, U.S. President Donald Trump warned that there would be a forceful response. And uh, so anyway, it goes on to talk a little bit about that, and they kind of show what's uh, in the Mediterranean right now and why it is kind of a dangerous place to be flying near or over. And uh, so we just thought we'd mention that. Yeah, now, do you think they're basing that on President Trump's tweet? Perhaps. Uh, I mean, no. they mention it in this Without article. coming <laughs> too political. Um, yeah. I'm just wondering if there is a, a, a more um, uh, well-defined line of communication uh, between the air traffic control services in that area and um, the American military. So I certainly hope so. Yeah. It's, would, it's based on so. slightly more information. Yeah. But uh, Captain Eld is probably very familiar with uh, flying around that area. I've been around there a few times. It does get complicated, and there are an awful lot of uh, um, uh, disputes between countries there that get carried into the air. So, you know, you speak to air traffickers, and they they tell you that they're not speaking to this country and that you'll have to make your own um way when you're going to move to over the FIR, we're not responsible. And, and you go there and you go, what? This is like shark infested custard. <laughs> I really don't want to be here. I remember Al talking about that, how, you know, that they're kind of squabbling constantly. Oh, well, they, they're the old squabbles of the Greeks and the Turks, but these are new squabbles. Oh, so new squabbles. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all very reassuring, isn't it? Yeah, I think just try, I'm glad I'm heading towards the states right now. Now the interesting well, thing when I'm flying. The the interesting thing here uh Dana when when Dana and I uh, visited the aircraft carrier on Monday right next door to it was the USS Truman and in this article they talk about the uh, another three warships of the 6th fleet are already in the Atlantic Ocean and on April 11th which is today the entire Truman fleet, including an aircraft carrier, six destroyers, and nearly 6,500 sailors, departed Norfolk, Virginia to head to the Mediterranean Sea. So we were right there, and we were watching them uh, provisioning and loading up that uh, aircraft. Wasn't it the one right next to uh, the one we uh, visited? Yes, it, w- it was. There's a yeah. Truman. Oh, they, were, they were getting ready to um, to ship out of port. He said within a week. Apparently, we now uh, know the apparently, answer. Apparently, uh, yeah, within today. a few days. <laughs> Yeah, two days after we were there. Yeah. So, yeah, that 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 was amazing to watch as well to see how much work goes in. And I did ask a specific question: um, How long would it take, based on if there was a true war war situation, how fast could they they get a ship that size ready with provision? He said, "Well, we don't need a whole lot. We just need to 
pull, you know, gas off and we can always take provisions at sea. So they can uh, relatively quickly get that size of a ship out to sea and, and if need be. So, yeah, very impressive. Of course, we're flying tornadoes off our aircraft carrier down there. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Our aircraft carrier is actually a peninsula on the island of Cyprus. Um, We we own a little corner of uh, Cyprus, and we have an RAF base there, RAF Akrotiri. And uh, it looks like they're flying tornadoes from... uh, Criteria. Uh, so the aircraft carrier was just joke. Don't take me. Okay. <laughs> Don't take me to task, please, dear listeners. <laughs> oh, but we have a little corner. It's a very, very useful, uh, tactically useful piece of um, real estate there on Cyprus. Very tactical. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, and we'll save that um, other piece of uh, news for the next show. So now it means we get to get to the best part of the show, which is your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Rob sent this in a little while back. He says, hi, Jeff. No, no talk. Long time. Rob Alfonso down in the uh, Miami area. Uh, He says, I hope all is well with you. I haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast in a while. I'm having APG withdrawal syndrome. It's been all work and no play recently for me. I did manage to get away to see my grandmother in Switzerland recently and made a new trip report that I thought you and the listeners might enjoy. And then he gave us a link to that on YouTube. And uh, it's very cool. And uh, the description of the video, come fly with us as we fly from Zurich, Switzerland to Miami, Florida aboard Swiss LX-64, an Airbus A330-300 in economy. This is the full 11-hour flight shot on a GoPro 3 and sped up in certain sections to condense time. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, don't worry. It's not <laughs> not an 11-hour long video on YouTube. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I know that those that listen to the show will be interested in, in watching this. It's pretty cool. Uh, he is sat at uh, a seat right next to the window, of course, and uh, right next to the wing. So you get to see the all the action on the wing and the takeoff and landing and all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Cool. Very cool. So we'll put that link in the show notes so you can watch it. And uh, let's see, we have a, I believe this is a different Rob that sent this one in. Uh, let's see, I don't see the full name here, so I'm assuming it's a different different Rob. Hi team, just listening to your latest podcast and your discussion about listening to passengers who have a concern about some part of the aircraft reminded me of an article I just read. Boeing has just published a document outlining procedures when the wing fold mechanism fails on the triple uh, seven, he's talking about the triple seven. What is it? The dash ten. Um, yeah, the triple seven X. Oh, is it X or whatever? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, I see it now. Boeing triple seven eight slash nine. Um, I think they're going to need to publish another about how to educate passengers so they don't freak out when the tip of the 777 starts folding. It's going to be an awesome awesome site, though. And he sent us a link from flightglobal.com. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to read it, but uh, it's a very interesting article about the uh, wing folding mechanism. And the reason why they're doing this is it allows the aircraft to have a much wider uh, wingspan, but 
they can still continue to operate at the gates that are already designed for the 777-300ER, that size aircraft. And uh, so they came up with this idea to have folding wingtips. I think about 15 feet of wing is folded upwards uh, on either side. I, I'm trying to re- recall the exact... Three and a half meters. Three and a half meters. Okay. So. And how, how much is that in feet? About... One, two, three, two, three, six, three, three, and nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, eleven. Yeah. Eleven something feet. Yeah, that's a big chunk of wing. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, I noticed that it folds automatically on landing. So as you slow below fifty knots, it folds. So what happens if the airplane thinks it's accidentally below fifty knots? That could never happen, Nick. <laughs> Definitely never happen. Yeah. Or you I'm get sure into some... a really bad stall like Air France did, and the airspeed drops below fifty knots. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I'm sure they've thought about that. I'm sure they've thought about that. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> don't even want to think about it. <laughs> I really we're, don't. we're all sitting here contemplating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. having flown two types of airplanes whose wings mess about. Uh, fold or swing. Uh, I hope they've got it right. Have you ever had an incident with uh, them folding or swinging when they weren't supposed to? Not me, but uh, the Buccaneers uh, had folding wings and uh, the pins that locked the wings um, started to fatigue. And uh, it was partly because they changed the role from over the ocean where there's relatively little turbulence to an overland role. And then very sadly, during red flag exercise, uh, one of the uh, wing lock mechanisms failed on a buccaneer and uh, killed the crew. Um, mm. So, that you know, that they, then they took a look at it and probably grounded most of them while they tried to work out w- what had gone wrong and why their fatigue profile wasn't right. Not good, not good. I have a feeling that this will be thoroughly tested and hopefully have several redundant safety mechanisms to prevent something like what you're talking about happening while the oh, thing's absolutely. in the air. I'm, yeah. Exactly, yes. I'm sure it couldn't possibly happen. Yeah. Happen. happen but note happen. to self, don't fly on that airplane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Tell, uh, the next one, Nick, I think you should take this one. It's from Tony. Oh, good old Tony. Oh, we like Tony. He's got a message for Captain Nick, uh, whoever that bloke is. Uh, Captain Nick, if you were giving a lecture near Manchester, it wasn't at RF Cosford. Oh, really? I'm sure that was the name on the sign. Cosford is near Wolverhampton, uh, which I'm sure they pronounce differently out there, which is near-ish Birmingham. Manchester is 80 miles north of Cosford. 80 miles is a drop in the ocean for an airline pilot. Come on. I know you Southerners get lost north of Watford. Please explain this amusing anecdote to the U.S. crew. I'm not quite sure if it is an amusing anecdote, (laughs) but Watford isn't very far north. And for those of us who live in the deep south, getting... I'm amused, Tony. (laughs) Getting north of Watford means you're already uh, going into dangerous territory. Um, (laughs) For me, it's uh, north of the Wash, which is a fine little gouge out on the East Coast. Um, so uh, it's a good thing that your newfangled flying machines got some sort of direction-pointing device to get you around. Yep, it is. With those compasses are just wonderful. As Captain Sa- Jeff says, just kidding. Uh, I just listened to the plane tales about Swiss uh, Trouble One. 
I saw the air crash investigation episode, but your tale told of the aftermath. Uh, fascinating. Uh, sorry, the aftermarket IFE uh, in flight entertainment. Fascinating. Um, thanks for your plain tales. You're very welcome, Tony. It's my pleasure. I enjoy doing them and the effort you put into making this such a joy to listen to. I started at the first podcast and I'm almost up to date. Oh my God. Doctor, doctor, give him some medicine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this. This may not be a good thing, as then I'll have to wait for new podcasts. Yeah, people go through a little withdrawal period after they've done that big rush of 318 shows, and they suddenly realize they've got nothing to listen to for six days. So, yeah, my sympathy. Yes, we do apologize for, for the syndrome, if you happen to catch it. And I'm looking just feverishly for the... <laughs> We were, we were waiting. I know, I know. Yeah. You all stopped waiting for Captain Jeff to find. Yeah. Uh, you see like this in the air, Dana? I'm worse. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that? It's, not, he's like not even, he's, it's like he's not even there. <laughs> That's right, he wasn't. So people just mistake that for me being very laid back, but it's actually, I'm... I'm Unconsciously place. incompetent. The final frontier. <laughs> All the places that Jeff's mind goes. Yes. There we go. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a APG syndrome. No pills gonna cure my ill. I got a APG syndrome. Ah! I have a couple sound playing. Uh, apps and I gave up on the newer one. I couldn't figure out where it was, so I went with the old one. I knew about where it was on that uh, on that layout. Ah, just too many you know, clips to play. You know that comment made me realize why I like flying with you so much. Yes, because you're not there. Exactly. It's like it's almost huh? like you're solo. <laughs> it's like I'm solo. Like I'm the captain. I'm like exactly. Kidding. Only kidding. All right. Uh, you know, on an earlier show, we talked about um, equal opportunity, equality, that kind of thing. And uh, Ben Ippolito uh, chimed in and he said, absolutely. As a check and training controller, I don't care about if you're male, female, whatever religion, orientation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As long as I can train you to the level where you can safely direct traffic in accordance with the regulations by yourself consistently. The caveat to that is we shouldn't be aiming for targets in how many of each minority we have in our ranks. Best person for the job. We actually need to entice more minorities to apply for the job. Strangely enough, if your applicant pool is majority white male, then the majority of your recruits are going to be white males. Anecdotal evidence actually shows that women could actually make better controllers than men. And then he did one of those emoji things with a wide open mouth. <gasps> Say it ain't Shocking. so. Shocking. Shocking. Yes. Shocking. So thank you, Ben, for chiming in on that. And uh, that's what Why we were saying. Why any anecdotal evidence? I mean, surely there must be Because no one's actually actual done the studies. study. No, oh, who's, putting money, who's throwing money at that to do actual yeah. studies? We should volunteer well, to do the study. Maybe make some money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, no, I think we, you'd just be spending money at that point. So. We seem to have a pretty high proportion of uh, lady air traffickers in the UK, and uh, uh, even the one that sings, uh, they're, they're very good controllers. Uh, I, I don't like the one that sings because I just find <laughs> her singing a little annoying. But, well, she uh, sings well, while I mean, she's doing her job as air traffic controller? 
Yeah, she has kind of a sing-song voice. Oh, so, okay. Uh, she, rather than speaking, uh, you know, she just like uh, projects so her voice like I notes. Know a or know of a male controller that sounds very much like that. Oh, really? <laughs> that's not something that's just that. That's an equal opportunity thing as well. Just say. Who enjoys singing on their job? I was looking at a, a chart of uh, like percentages, breakdowns, male, female, and the different uh, rate minorities and that kind of thing. And I was kind of surprised actually here in the U.S. that the uh, the percentage of female air traffic controllers was only about. 17% or maybe 27. I don't remember the exact number, but I don't know about you, Dana, but you know, out there flying our trips, it seems like it's at least a 50, 50 split. I mean, as far as what we hear on the radio, yeah, I think, I think probably close to that, probably 40, 60. Yeah. It'd be my guess. Uh, today was a perfect example. I mean, we had a, a lady controller when we were taxiing out today, and it was it was crazy busy. The radio was going non-stop, even trying to get it a word in edgewise. And my God, I want to talk about a cool cat getting everything done done very well. Uh, this lady did a fantastic job today you know, on the Atlanta ground for control frequency. So, yeah. you know, I, I really think it's just uh, based on your qualifications and, you, and your ability to do job doesn't, as he said, it's really doesn't matter what uh, what gender you are, what what race you are, what religion you prefer. Uh, as long as you come in, do a good job and, 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 and are competent to do it, then I, I personally don't care. Hey, you know what we forgot to mention? Uh when we were flying into Grand Rapids, we were being vectored for the approach there. And oh, yes. uh, uh, since Dana was flying the airplane, I was talking on the radio. And then um, after I finished um, my transmission, um, I hear this voice say, hey, Jeff, <laughs> 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 who is that? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I think Stephen Ivey is up here flying around doing survey uh, work in his airplane uh, and sure enough uh, so Dana goes here let me make the next couple of uh, radio calls so he can you know hear my voice and then uh, Dana said hello to Steven and he said hey Dana <laughs> that was a lot of fun <laughs> little inside APG ball Excellent. yeah absolutely all right um, Larry you want to do this one Dana number six so uh, we've got uh, Larry here, and he says, Captain Jeff and crew, check out the video and let the rest of us have your opinions. And there's a couple of links here. Let me, uh, let me play a little bit of this uh, just to okay, see, uh, see what this is all about. Okay, so a picture of a kid climbing on top of seats. Sure, it's not a parrot. It sounds like a parrot, doesn't it? <laughs> is it an emotional support child? <laughs> it was an emotional support child. This is an amazing. You gotta watch this video. This kid, for I mean, quite quite literally, he goes on here. Since this was in progress, still on the ground, why could the cabin crew remove the source of the noise? Uh, I am reasonably docile, but after eight hours, I've been a bit. Well, Captain Nick might have been a bit. Uh, been a polite Brit British term to apply. Ta-ta for now. Yeah, he says uh, yeah, Captain Nick might have a polite British term to apply. 
Oh, term. I'm sorry. I'm I'm reading from far away, and I guess I'm starting to need some glasses here. Get some glasses, Captain. British term <laughs> to apply. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what's going to happen. I'm going to upgrade. To- uh oh, Dana, Dana, are you there, man? He's frozen. Dana. Uh, no. Yeah, your your internet is freezing up on us. Um, so would would you have uh, Captain Nick some kind of a polite British term to apply? I don't know. I I did actually reply. I don't know if I'm the best person to say this, but I replied to Larry and I said, at the risk of being tautological, I might have been affronted and querulous, turning rapidly into splenetic antagonism, followed by indignant exasperation. That's exactly the way Nick talks all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Much easier to go emoticon unhappy. (laughs) Yes. Um, Am I back yet? Yeah, you're back. Welcome okay, back. Good. Well, do you want to have a go at that bit then, uh, Dana? No, I know. I, I I heard you completely. So <laughs> I mean, we just couldn't hear you. You were all frozen and and you weren't talking anymore. And I don't and I don't know what's going on because I'm hardwired to my hmm. router, not not via Wi-Fi. So it's got to be an a, a issue in the neighborhood. Yeah. So well, okay. you sorry. never get those kind of issues where you live. Yeah, never. <laughs> um, so, you know, this guy posts this video and has 4 million views. And uh, there, there are some people that are kind of pushing back a little bit and saying, you know, it wasn't really that bad. But uh, I don't know. That was pretty good evidence that it was pretty annoying, at least. And uh, the fact that it looked like the mother of this uh, toddler uh, wasn't doing much to uh, keep this from occurring. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Steph? I um, I think I'm with Larry. After eight hours of that, I would not have been the happiest person on that yeah. aircraft. So, yeah. yeah. Well, why the toddler is being allowed to climb up on top of the seats? I'm just thinking you're on an airplane, and that's your precious three year old or how old it yeah, was. Yeah, three year old. Uh, they say whether so, you know did the child have some sort of medical condition or. Was it an autistic child or something else going on that I'm may have accounted for? Sometimes there are things that you can't. Yeah, no, I understand the safety point of view of it, but sometimes there are factors that, you know, make the situation much more difficult to control than you would normally expect. So just benefit of the doubt there, perhaps. But I think any reasonably sane person would be very annoyed after eight hours, no matter what the circumstances are surrounding it. So. But I don't understand how it's the airline's fault. Uh, well, apparently, before the flight even left the gate, there was an issue, and the mother basically begged them to allow you know them to stay on the airplane. And right, uh, yes, yeah, so and so maybe so, they're thinking, well, maybe the airline should have gone ahead before it got to this point and just took them off the flight. But yeah, I don't know. Well, that would be a very difficult position for an airline to be in to take a child and a mother off the flight because the child is being disruptive. Well, all Uh, you do, Dana, is just grab them by their ankles and just drag them through the aisle and knock them, you know, knocking their heads on the, Oh, wait a minute. That was another thing that happened. Or you can be like Northwest Orient one day that had a child just like that and gave them, I think it was Benadryl or something similar. (laughs) 
in, in the drink and put the kid to sleep. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and they couldn't wake reality, him up. <laughs> the airline did everything, but I mean, seriously, the airline did everything they could. They, they, they confronted the, the parent. They said, you know, this child's obviously being disruptive. She said, no, he'll calm down. He'll calm down. It, so as an airline representative at that point, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, the child yeah, is. It's, it's not like you're talking to an adult that can reason with you and. Right. You know. You, you, understand the consequences of their actions so it's a it's a hard situation i don't think the airline is to blame there yeah so. no but i don't think the airline should drug the child personally. no we're not no 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 that's not what i'm suggesting it <laughs> happened in the past it was an incident that happened but i'm All not right. suggesting that you would ever drug a child your choice drugs <laughs> you drug or drag <laughs> yeah. Well, take that. Take the. Yeah. If there's a pacifier, take it. You know, little Dunkin' uh, uh, adult beverage, and see what happens. There you go. No, no. definitely how, not endorsing that up. either. <laughs> that's Doctor Steph at AirlinePilotGuy.com. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of uh, the good doctor, why don't you take number seven? Oh, this way. Let's see. Ah, this is from Jordan. He has question for Steph and other APG runners. There are other ones out there. I'm not sure. Um, They're all over the place. I know. I know. He says, hello, this message is for Dr. Steph and the rest of the APG family. I was just wondering if you or anyone else is planning to run this year's Marine Corps Marathon. Also, it's the Marathon of the Monuments in Washington, D.C. The race is scheduled for the last weekend in October. I and a few other of my friends will be in attendance as this is our favorite marathon of the year. Well, if anyone is planning to come run this year's race, they're welcome to get in touch with me and maybe we can have a little meetup the evening before the race. Cheers, Jordan. Jordan, sadly, I am not running the Marine Corps Marathon. It is on my list of marathons to do at some point in the future. It sounds like you run it regularly. So maybe in a upcoming year, if I sign up for it, um, I've got your contact information now and we'll plan a way to meet up for the race um, this year running Chicago, which is early in October, and then New York, which is early in November. So Marine Corps does not fit into that plan very well for me this year. But I suspect there might be a few other runners out there in our community. And we have your contact information. I think we'll put that in the show notes, correct? Yes. So we people will. can get in right. touch with you and have a... I was, uh, I was in Washington when this marathon went by my hotel. I'm in the Omni Shoreham at Washington, and they run on the route just past the hotel and i was trying to sleep in the afternoon i couldn't because you know every like two minutes i was woken up by all these people going or hoorah if 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 you're gonna do it like a marine you gotta do it like oh, i'm a sorry hoorah i'm not qualified are you a I'm marine not qualified. really no <laughs> no Got plenty of friends that are marines <sighs> all right anyway that was very noisy I'm I'm just happy to know that there are other, um, you know, APG syndrome sufferers out there who are also runner uh, runners and sufferers of that other problem that's unrelated to aviation. So we have we have multiple problems. I ran once. Mm hmm. Long time ago. Long time ago. Did you catch the bus? Far far away. <laughs> well, Captain L says he he ran once. Someone said the restaurant was closing. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a lot of people who will run for emergencies, yeah. uh, such as food or yeah. being chased by some large predator, or, or get into the bar before they close. Yep. All right. All, all important valid reasons. All important yep. things. All about the health and fitness. All right.
You know, you know what that means? This was sent in from somebody named Liz. And uh, let's see, the headline is $20,000 male drone takes flight and hits a wall. The technology needs it. The, the female <laughs> drone, I don't think. Was. <laughs> you beat me to it, Steph. I saw I didn't know you could sex a drone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I sorry. M A I L drone. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you're just listening, you're gone and not reading what I'm reading, you're gone. Well, yeah, I didn't know they had genders. Um, yeah. Want to know why male, M-A-I-L, drones aren't ready for prime time? Well, Russia can tell you. The sub Siberian town of Ulan Ude was expecting to beam with pride as organizer Rudron Expeditor 3M tested a postal drone. That's probably the word we should have used in the... Uh, in the begin- at the beginning, a postal drone in the area for the first time, but they would le- they left red-faced after the inaugural flight went spectacularly wrong. The hexacopter courier went haywire moments after takeoff, smacking into the side of a building at high speed, as you can see in the video below. Uh, and uh, let's see, we'll have a link to the article here so you can look at the video as well, and it is pretty embarrassing. The hexacopter courier went Haywire. Oh, I just read that. Um, it went from technological triumph to an embarrassing pile of scrap metal in a matter of seconds. It was a costly crash, too, as the drone reportedly cost about $20,000. Now, I'm looking at this drone. I'm thinking, well, it's a, it's a nice-looking drone. It's big. $20,000? Holy cow. Yeah, that's, that's pricey. Is that in... What currency are we talking that's about? U.S. dollars is presented in uh, this article from... What uh, source here? Let's see if I can get that. Uh, Engadget. And Engadget. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of money, a lot of moolah for a drone. It's not certain what went wrong, although regional leader Alexei, I don't know how to pronounce that. T S Y D E N O V. Wasn't not even gonna attempt that one. Uh, speculated to Reuters that the 100 plus Wi-Fi signals in the area might have played a part. Mind you. We take that theory with a grain of salt. Uh, Postal drones have flown in denser urban areas than this, so it's not as if Wi-Fi is guaranteed to cause havoc. Um, Not exactly a shining moment for the Russian Post, however. The state mail carrier has tried to disassociate itself from the crash, but it had clearly left its uh, lent its approval with its logo slapped all over the package and the launch pad. And when Russia Post has been hoping to field delivery drones for years, this is a serious snag in its plans. Something tells us it won't rush to roll out more drones in the immediate future. So that's an interesting drone story. And uh, yeah, watch the video. I think it's uh, quite amusing. I have a smashing time. I have a smashing time. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't fly into somebody and, and uh, hurt somebody. Right. Okay, well, I think now might be a good time for us to play this week's installment of Plain Tales. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. We rejoin Sir Glenn as he is about to deploy his squadron to the Gulf. Did you have to pester anyone to get that deployment? I think I was pretty convincing that we <laughs> that we should be involved. Um, 
yeah, I, we can all argue about you know the utility of it, but I think the proof was in the pudding that once we got out there, the product that we we were producing was highly valued by different sections of the community, the intelligence community, um, and people on the ground as well. Now, your squadron wasn't operational. The equipment you were using wasn't fully operational. Was that a concern to you? Yes, it it clearly was. But we had a a very experienced squadron, in truth. And I picked a a blend of people uh, to go out on the deployment. The other half of the squadron, who were left behind, actually very quickly then became involved in... um, trying to bring into service the tiled pod, so the designated pod, because Tornado at that stage didn't have any designation capability at all. That's designation for? For for laser-guided bombs. So the only people who could designate at that stage were were the Buccaneers with the old Pavespike pod. So half of the squadron I left behind actually started going down to Boscombe Down. We had two tiled pods which they worked up, and they eventually then deployed um, after the war had started, but they then deployed down to Dubuk um, to operate in a designator role. If I'm not mistaken, you actually went into theatre with civilian contractors, the men who were looking after your recce pods. Uh, What was that like, and how did you have to uh, change your perhaps modus operandi to look after them? A, it was fantastic that the company was willing to deploy its people because Duran, although it was pretty safe, um, we did get uh, scuds fired at, um, at Duran, certainly for the first part of the war, and there were several Patriot batteries, which the light entertainment was to go, go out and watch the Patriots shooting down the scuds of an evening. But they were absolutely invaluable because it was only utilising their knowledge and um, looking at how things Im- could be improved from one sortie to another, that we actually got the reliability of the kit um, to the standard that we needed it. So they were really fixing and developing it in theatre during a war? And, uh, and helping us maintain it, so that because um, they had just you know, more intimate knowledge of it. Excellent. What were the kind of missions you were being asked to undertake? Um, It it was a variety, and you'll be aware that uh, the detachment got the name the Scud Hunters. In some respects, that was a bit by accident. Because of our unique capability and the threat that the the Scud um, capability across in the Western Desert uh, was a a strategic issue for the coalition because of the threat to Israel, a lot of effort was focused in how do we neutralize that threat. So we did spend some time across in the Western Desert trying to hunt out the Scuds. And on one of the first nights, one of the, the aircraft, more probably by accident and design, actually stumbled across a Scud. So we acted as a degree of a deterrent and we did go out Scud hunting for quite a few missions. But we also did a lot of work for um, special forces so as they were planning ingress routes into um, Iraq, um, either by on the ground or by helicopter, we tended to go in down those routes in advance so that we could see if there were any enemy uh, forces. And as the planning for the major ground offensive um, went, got underway, 
we went into what, what was just to the west of Kuwait, um, into the Republican Guard areas, to really try and find out what the Iraqi forces' uh, dispositions were. So I suppose you know, those were the three main categories. We, d we also did some battle damage assessment as well from some of the, um, after some of the uh, mud-moving squadrons had been attacking targets. Now, I gather, um, you know, flying a tornado at night using TFR uh, would be an enormous challenge, but you decided to make it just a little harder. You weren't happy with the height the TFR was flying you at, I gather. Well, the aircraft was designed that it could fly completely hands-off using terrain-following radar linked into the autopilot. But the minimum height you could dial in to the terrain-following system was 200 feet. And when you f were flying over the desert, depending on the, on the TFR radar, it would fly you at probably about 220, 230, maybe even slightly higher. And there were occasions, because of some of the threats, like SA-8s, um, that that probably wasn't going to be low enough. So we all came up with slightly different ways of, you know, so how are we going to fly if you needed to? You didn't say you had to do this all the time, but if you needed to, how could you fly lower? And there were different techniques that people developed. The way I personally and my backseater decided to do it was to use the flight director system that, that we had in the aircraft fed off the terrain following radar, but actually to manually fly the aircraft by effectively using that symbology but tracking a bit bit lower than you would normally do to fly at 200 to 230-odd feet. And that could get you down, you know, provided you were sensible about it, that could get you down to about 150, 160 feet, which was a much um, safer sort of environment to, to be operating if you were confronted with an SAA threat. What sort of speeds are we talking about? Um, again, we used to sort of cruise around about 480 to 500, but if you needed to, the jet would go, would easily do 550, um, 560 odd. We used to, to carry, because all of our equipment, our recce equipment was internal, so we could carry four fuel tanks, which gave us quite a long range. But virtually every mission we did included air-to-air refueling. So you'd normally take off, go up to a tanker, fill up um, and then descend down to low level because we had to operate at low level throughout the campaign. Um, and then quite often you come after you egressed, you go back up to a tanker, refuel again and then come home. So let me get this right. Um, you're at night in the dark in a hostile uh, environment, hand flying the aircraft at 150 feet and around 500 knots over the desert. For some of the time. <laughs> you didn't want to wear, your wear yourself out. <laughs> if I had a hat, I'd be taking it off right now. Um, perhaps you could work your way through a sortie you remember as being a particularly uh, interesting one so we can get a feel for what your uh, day in the life of a uh, 13 Squadron recce pilot was. Well, I think one of the ones that sort of sticks in my mind, really, was I mentioned about flying we were tasked into the Republican Guard area. These weren't particularly long sorties because it was just to the west of Kuwait. Um, 
But typically what would happen, we still weren't up to the tanker, um, filled up, flew as a singleton, uh, as I say, always at low level. This was quite an interesting one because it was the first aircraft, tactical aircraft, which had gone into the Republican Guard area, so nobody really knew exactly what was there. And my backseater and I sort of had a, had a bit of a plan if um, you did get hit by some enemy fire, be it AAA or a SAM system. And we'd figured out that we would, wherever possible, be pointing where we could be pointing at the pointing south towards the Saudi border, so that if you did get hit, you could at least try and um, be pointing in the right direction <laughs> for um, a safe, safer environment. Um, but so typical mission up onto the tanker, about twenty grand. Um, the weather actually during the whole of the campaign was quite poor. People don't realise it in the desert, but some of the most dangerous bits of the mission were actually doing the air-to-air refuelling at night. Um, so you go up on the tanker, you, you'd fill up, you then descend down to low level, and there were very um, clear uh, routings that you had to, to follow to get into Iraq, so you deconflicted with um, our own defences and such like. So you'd be down at low level by the time you crossed the border, this particular mission, we, th- we decided we were going to go as fast as we could for, to keep the time um, over enemy territories as, um, as short as possible. But actually, it was a really bright, moonlit night over, um, over Iraq. And although we used to carry night vision goggles, we didn't actually used to use them. But the, the moon was so bright, you could virtually visually fly even though this was sort of two o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. So anyway, we, we did our routing, we did all the um, points of interest that we'd been tasked to, to fly. And actually, the other really vulnerable part of the mission, we always felt, was actually as you egressed out of um, Iraq, because you were transitioning from 200-ish feet up, back up to medium altitude, so you could then enter the transit corridor back to... Um, back to base and that was a we viewed as a vulnerable period because you were obviously back up at medium altitude didn't quite know what the SAM systems were up to and there was also our own defences as well be it patriots or um, our own fighters as well and there was always indicate there was always the problems of identification of course so no that was it was a really interesting mission saw a lot of kit um, once we got back on on the ground and were analysing the data, um, and it provided us with a bit of reassurance, to be honest, that we could operate in that area with you know, a reasonable degree of survivability. What were the areas where you were engaged the most by uh, the Iraqi forces? It was really interesting, Nick. Actually, I mentioned that um, the the bomber squadrons, particularly on the first few nights of the war, uh, were flying at low altitude. They were dropping JP233 for, to close down the airfields, normally flying as eight ships. Um, and the Iraqi airfields were massive, much bigger than the Soviet airfields, which is obviously what JP233 was designed um, to go against. And they were also very heavily defended with AAA. 
So it was quite a shock for uh, those formations who went in at low altitude, particularly the guys down the back of the formation, because the first pair probably got through okay. Then the defences were woken up, and there was a, a lot of AAA and short-range air defence systems as well. And we lost you know, a number of aircraft on those first few nights. That pushed all of the bomber crews up to medium altitude after about 10 days. So they were all operating in the, in the sort of low 20s. Um, because of our kit, we were operating, we still had to operate at low altitude. And in some respects, I think that was tactically really helpful for us because we operated either as singletons or pairs. And we got in and out of all most of our targets um, without any real difficulty. We didn't really wake up the defences. By the time they realised an aircraft had gone through, we were gone. So it was actually, from a tactical perspective, it was um, quite a good way to operate. Alone and unafraid, so long as, <laughs> as you, they say. <laughs> so long as you didn't go around and had to take another look at somewhere. Yeah. What kind of level of intelligence did you manage to achieve and what quality was it? How good was it? When the kit was good working, I mean, it really was exceptional. Um, and as, as I said, because you can record it, you can actually then replay it in the air. Although in truth, one of the, one of the unreliable parts of the system was the ability to data link sections of the imagery um, back to the ground, which we never really successfully did but in truth most of the intelligence that we were gathering wasn't of it wasn't required in that sort of really time sensitive period so we, we had time to get back to base have a good look through the um, through all the imagery and then you know, produce the reporting that we needed to do so I think I think we did prov- we did deliver the sort of capability that we had hoped we would. There were problems with the kit, but um, it was, there's nothing like using equipment in anger to get it improved. There is no, no doubt in my mind we accelerated the speed with which the kit improved by taking it out on operations. Now, um, your citation for your Distinguished Service Order mentions that you quickly demonstrated aggressive enthusiasm for the task. How would you have described it? I'm not sure I'd have quite described it like that. (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's what people join the Air Force, what I joined the Air Force for was to, that's the proof of all the training you've done, is to go out on operations. Um, It was quite surreal, actually, particularly operating at night, because... Iraq was pitch black. There's virtually no cultural lighting whatsoever. Um, And and I remember describing, after my first trip, somebody said, so what's it like? Um, I said, well, it's a bit like doing your instrument rating. Um, Because it was, it was just pitch black. Um, Tornado is fantastic at low low altitude, brilliant ride, Um, very smooth as well. yeah, it was great, great experience. So it was great to put all that training to real work and very valuable work. Yeah, yeah. You went pretty deep into enemy territory at times. Uh, what was your plan had you been shot down? Well, we had our, um, you had your ghoulie chit, 
um, which was meant to give you safe passage, and you had your um, bunch of gold coins. Perhaps you might explain uh, what a gulichet is. Gulichet is, um, it was written in Arabic, and it was meant to say, you know, this is, um, you're a combatant, and under the the um, Geneva Convention, you're meant to be returned in one one piece. Um, with, with your with, ghoulies. With, your, with your, all your tackle. Um, I'm not sure that would have held us in good stead. And, and the money was there to buy people off if necessary. And you had your, your 9 mil pistol, of course, which would have saved you. So you had a strip of gold sovereigns. I'm trying to work out why they just didn't take the sovereigns and... They probably uh, would have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did, were you allowed to keep them at the end of the war? We, were, I, I think I was just when you asked me the question, I was I was trying to recall. I think we were allowed to keep one of the sovereigns, provided you return them all um, at the end of the war <laughs> as a souvenir. <laughs> well, if, if there's some uh, blanket stacker out there who's looking for a loose gold squadron, uh, gold sovereign, sorry, we now know where it is. You flew 22 reconnaissance missions. Now, that was the most that any rec- recce pilot on active service uh, flew. Um, did you uh, find an elusive scud, and what do you think was your most valuable discovery? Do you know, the, the most, I, didn't, I don't recall finding a scud. Um, the most satisfying trip I did, or we did, uh, was actually the ones we were doing for the, the Special Forces, because you... You, you know, you talk to the units, and it was very much a mutual plan as to you know what the what were they after from you. We were trying to make sure that we could deliver that and use the kit in the most appropriate way. But you felt as though you were doing something you know, very intimate with them, rather than just collecting intelligence, um, which would then go into the great. You know, it's just going to be another piece of intelligence to build up the whole picture so i i personally found those those missions the most satisfying and we had when we came back from the gulf war we had a very good long-lasting relationship with with um 22 sas um, and and indeed all the S, the sf guys um so yeah that was for me the best bit of the whole operation now, um, what did the uh, American forces think of the Tornado uh, recce capability? I think at the time, you've got to realise we were, it was a capability nobody else had. And, and interestingly, the RAF had always seen the value of tactical reconnaissance. Um, so we had pods on aircraft, we, we clearly had a big recce pod on the, on the Jaguar, um, the Harrier had a, a recce pod. And the tornado had an, a recce pod as well, um, but we we also had the um, the, in, the internal sensor suite as well. So the Royal Air Force had always maintained that tactical recce capability. The USAF had actually given most of their tactical recce capability up. They were very good at strategic reconnaissance, clearly, um, with things like U-2, Messer-71, all their space-based assets. But we did fulfill that sort of niche capability in many respects. That said, I mean, the USAF had, well, they'd gone through that period of RF4s and such like, but um, most of that had been given up. So they, they felt it was useful, just as it was in the, the second um, Gulf War as well. 
We have reached the point in Sir Glenn's interview where we moved on to other subjects. For the moment, I just want to thank him for giving up his valuable time and for relating such an intense and demanding period of his life so well. By the end of the war, the 13 squadron detachment that he led had flown some 128 reconnaissance sorties. However, this was not the squadron's only contribution, as we will find out next time. Another uh, fascinating plane tale, the second installment of this uh, really fascinating interview, Nick. Yeah, he, he talks so well. He uh, He's such a, a modest guy, Glenn, uh, yet he's such an exceptional pilot. Uh, but even so, the way he describes uh, doing those uh, hand-flown, night, low-level, incredibly high-speed missions uh, over enemy territory, uh, just, you know, I was sitting there with my eyes wide open going, I really, you know, I find it hard to credit um, what skill and um, determination and bravery you'd need to do that kind of flying. I was very impressed. Um, so I think uh, he, he was well-deserving of his uh, Distinguished Service Order. Um, it, it's fine. And uh, in the show notes, oh, sorry, and of course it'll be on the, uh, on the website, his full citation uh, is there. And um, uh, you won't get that if, of course, you go to iTunes. So just go to our website if you want to read the full citation of, uh, of his medal. Um, it, it, Glenn moved on to some very interesting jobs, which we cover in the next interview, uh, and some of which were quite controversial. So just as a little uh, taster, uh, the, I know that an awful lot of uh, British uh, aviation enthusiasts were horrified to know that when or to find out that the Harrier was being taken out of service uh, earlier than it might have been. Um, and Glenn was the man in charge when that happened. So that is actually quite an interesting man to speak to when you hear everyone say, oh, the Harrier should never be taken out of service. Well, you next week you can hear from your horse's mouth, from the horse's mouth, uh, why it happened. So, um, And various other decisions that he uh, was forced to make when he was uh, chief of the air staff. I can't wait to hear it. But I'll have to. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, you could cheat. Well, actually, so I, I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you but do. Yeah, but perhaps the you know, sense of delayed gratification. Yes, right? yes. Just uh, dear listeners, imagine that we're waiting along with you. Exactly. Is that like a tantric podcast? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, this next one is from CG Guy. Is that for... Center of, gravity? Center of gravity? I don't know. Uh, good morning, afternoon, evening, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and Doctor. But we, we, but can't we just call her Captain because she does fly her own plane and is technically the Captain Steph. That's a mouthful. Okay, Captain Steph. Yeah, that's a lot to add in front of my name. So <laughs> we can just leave it with. Yeah, that would be kind of Dr. tough Captain, at parties. Captain, Doctor. And who is this? It, well. Uh, Doctor, can I, can't, but, can't you call me captain because I do fly my own plane and technically the captain staff. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to insist that you all address me as such. That's my official technically, title. The, technically the captain staff. That's right. <laughs> we can do that. All right. 
uh, been a li- uh, going on with CG guy, been a listener since last summer and have been hooked from the first episode. The stories and life discussed on this podcast have always been inspiring and something to keep me occupied on the daily commute. This is the first feedback I'm sending in, and I want to say how thankful I am for the time and effort you all put in to make the show what it is, which is accurate and excellent. He put that all in caps. He screamed that one. And which show is he listening to? I don't know. Just, I think it said uh, okay. something about, well, it's not our show. <laughs> yeah, I don't think his assessment is actually accurate. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, let's not be too hard on. Uh, with the wealth of knowledge and experiences of those on the crew, I want to ask a question for my first feedback. Keeping the length details brief. I'm a 26-year-old U.S. military member in a non-flying role, considering the options of either pursuing a commission and a career as a military aviator to take me to military retirement, uh, he's, uh, or which would be age 40 in his case, then move to the airlines, or make the move to the airlines in the next two years and begin the career earlier. I've always had a love of aviation and wanted to be a fast jet pilot like Captain Nick, but in looking at the options of my priorities, which center strongly around time off to be with family and watch the kids grow, I have found myself thoroughly considering the airlines as a job that seems to potentially fill the bill better. Fill, no, I'm sorry, fit the bill better. This podcast and others on the subject of a career as an airline pilot have been extremely informative into some of the ins and outs of the job not always discussed, and I would greatly welcome any commentary from the crew members on what they would do given the priorities and choices listed. If in my situation, knowing the realities of both the military and airline career that have been experienced. Awesome podcast. I'll be buying you all a cup of coffee in exchange for crew logs shortly. Best. And again, that's CG guy you see that mean he's computer generated guy oh it could be or it could be i just realized maybe coast guard oh I think that's uh, probably yeah i don't know why accurate. i didn't pick that one up right up right away but you know better be well, slow than get into that second paragraph of the email before it made yeah, more sense that's true that's true we don't think of the coast guard as military in this country they're, they're more <laughs> like the police but yeah, well, there are, I know people in, in uh, this country that don't consider them military either. Not me, though. I'm not one of those. But I have heard people make you know comments like that, and I'm thinking, oh, come on. They have the same great training that uh, all the military services Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah. And held the same standard as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So, who wants to chime in about his, um, his question, his predicament? What should he do? Knowing that whatever you say is going to be taken seriously, and if you give him the wrong advice, then it's going to be on your conscience. It's going to wreck his life. <laughs> You're personally responsible. <laughs> yes, you are personally responsible. Is this the point at which we should do the uh, legalese? The uh, yeah, perhaps yeah. we really should get a professional sounding. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I wonder what kind of a pension he will generate if he stays in and uh, to the age forty, because uh, that for me, is a very strong motivator for staying in and generating a great government pension, if that's the situation for him, uh, and what rank he might come at it and how much that uh, might help him out uh, in future retirement. Um, If you want to just make money, I don't know what um, particular role he fulfills and how well it's paid in the Coast Guard, but I would suspect that uh, if he has a successful airline career and gets into a uh, a major without too much difficulty, he might be slightly better off. Um, but yeah, this is 
uh, is something for him to sit down and do the calculations. Yeah, you know, this comes back to there's always going to be these debates and people ask similar questions about, you know, looking at different airlines, regional airlines, major airlines, military, not really any any different. Um, there's going to be pluses and minuses. It all depends on what your specific family uh, geographical situation is, where you want to be, uh, what you want to be flying, um, and how much you enjoy, you know, your role being in the military now, too, I think is part of it. So. If that's something you want to continue to be a part of, even in a different role as an aviator, then by all means, do that and consider all the things that Nick just said. Um, but if you're looking for something different, then maybe it's time to make a switch. So, Dana? Well, I hope I don't break up here too much. My internet's still giving me some problems. But, uh, you know, my my uh, advice, CG guy, is, is go where your heart is. If you feel as though what Nick said, uh, and I agree with Nick to a, a large extent, uh, you know, your, your uh, benefits, uh, especially towards the end of your career, like medical and uh, retirement benefits could come in handy because a lot of the um, foresight airlines don't have any type of medical, however, uh, or uh, uh, pensions anymore. However, the earlier that you get in, uh, the quicker you can start building up your 401k and certainly build up your seniority. And we've mentioned on this show in the past, uh, seniority tends to be everything. I don't see the uh, hiring boom coming to an end unless there is a world event. So if you wait around for a little while and, and spend the last uh, 25 years of your career flying, uh, after you retire at 40, there's not so so much harm involved as far as you're flying into the career. You'll still have the great opportunity to build up uh, a great experience and, of course, uh, um, have a choice in where you want to go once once you reach that point. The only other thing that I would say is certainly uh, your family consideration is the top and most highly uh, high priority. Uh, and what you want to do, I don't know if the, the airlines necessarily would give you uh, a better quality of life initially being junior. However, um, as long as the, the airlines continue to uh, hire at a rapid rate, your seniority would rapidly grow and your quality of life would get better. So the, that's something you might want to consider as well. So I don't know. That's a hard one. Uh, you know, I certainly salute your service to our country. And, and I hate to see, you know, military personnel leaving that um to go to the civil sector however you know you really need to make the best decision that is best for, for your individual case either way i think it's a win-win situation it's just a matter of what you want for for the rest of your career very good points made by all the crew i, I would just add that uh if you're 26 years old now and you're considering pursuing a commission which i i'm trying to really read between the lines here uh, it means that you're a non-commissioned officer uh, in the military and you want to perhaps be a military aviator, which means you have to be an officer. So you have to get that commission. You have to get the college degree to become an officer and get that commission. So, you know, time frame, you know, how long is that all going to take? And then actually get a pilot slot, which I'm sure is pretty competitive, although now they're really hurting for pilots. So maybe it's not quite so competitive. Um, and so you're probably going to be in your early thirties, I would imagine, or I don't know, maybe you can do it in a couple of years, um, and then retire at 40. So you maybe have 
maybe 10 to 12 years uh, as a uh, military aviator, possibly. Uh, so that's something to consider. But um, I don't know. I wish we had a crystal ball to say, oh, you should definitely do this. You'll be much better off. Uh, because, you know, I used to uh, think that uh, the people that were leaving the military when I did, uh, that uh, they were uh, kind of not crazy, but it, it seemed like such a such a time commitment to continue to be uh, in the military reserves or guard and at the same time do your airline flying as well. And I'm thinking for what, you know, for a little bit of money when you retire at, or I guess you start collecting that um, when you're uh, 62 or something, or no, if you, if you retire the complete uh, 20 years or whatever, then I guess you get to start, uh, pulling that retirement out right away. I'm not sure exactly how that works. So, you know, don't, don't correct me. <laughs> if you're, if you're thinking about sending me an email right now, sorry, I'm probably screwing all that up. But anyway, let's just say that uh, you, you do the, you know, the career as a military aviator, retire at age 40, you start collecting the retirement and then, uh, uh the, uh, having the health benefits and such, uh, the, I used to think the guys who were doing that were kind of like, you know, it wasn't worth it. But now, in hindsight, I look back, those, the, the peers that did do that and put in all that time to fly in a reserve unit or a guard unit, uh, I think were actually pretty smart because I didn't realize how important it would be uh, as we get older and healthcare is becoming so expensive now, how important it is to have that big benefit, as, as Dana mentioned, having that healthcare, um, you know, benefit to take care of you as you get older and you need more medical assistance and such. So, um, but on the other hand, you know, we, we talk about this all the time here in the States, a seniority based system. Uh, it's very, very crucial that you get in as early as you can, if you're going to make the most out of your airline career. So yeah, if it sounds like I don't really have a definitive answer, it's because I don't have a definitive answer for you. It's just like, as Dana said, go with your heart, whatever you, see yourself doing and, and see yourself most happy with, I think what is what you should do. We hope that we helped you, CG guy, and your question about what to do, what to do, what to do. Okay. Or at least didn't make it too much worse. Right. <laughs> and uh, he's probably not going to listen to the podcast anymore. Uh, let's see. Clark, greetings, Captain Jeff, from your old digs adjacent out here in Southern California. Uh, I'm a now former Piper Tomahawk driver, having put my final hours in the Tomahawk, a.k.a. the Flying Brick, a couple of years ago when an airworthiness directive, suge directive suggested that the wings might come off during high load maneuvers, like, you know, spins, which you'll get a lot of practice recovering from in the PA-38. I got so good at spin recovery that I'd find a way to do a few practically every time I went up. Then I heard about the wings. Ah, so I'm currently earthbound, but your podcast helps keeps, but your podcast helps keep my head in the clouds in the best possible way. That and the fact that I live a stone's throw from one six right at VNY Van Nuys. Best to you and the APG crew. Yours in aviation, Clark Tufts. That's Clark in Cali. Oh, he's grounded. Poor chap. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. Was that 
Uh, let's see the uh, the trauma hog. No, that wasn't the one that was uh, the the riddle um, accident. That was a different uh, type of piper, right? No, that was an arrow. I that wasn't an arrow. Okay. Well, I think it was a good decision not to fly an airplane that had the wings of which I used to uh, depart. Yeah, that's not a good thing. Fall away. Not no. a good thing. Speaking of, did you just say PA twenty eight? No, 38. Okay. 38. I'm getting confused with all these PAs. This next one um, was sent in by Bill Heron, and he, he has a screenshot of an American Airlines flight, and they're uh, flying from, uh, let's see, where do they start? Uh, Paris. Paris for Philadelphia. <laughs> and uh, in a PA-28. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they had a lot of passengers on that flight, and um, yeah. Hope they're good at swimming. <laughs> yeah. American Airlines launched transatlantic service yesterday using a Piper PA-28-201T, <laughs> or at least that's what our receivers saw at FlightAware when flight AA-755 departed Paris for Philly. In reality, the issue lies in a miscoded Mode S transponder. Uh, that's very funny. And they go into a little bit more detail in this article about how a single bit flip changed the A330 into a Piper. I think you should read out the binary code there so people don't make the mistake in the future. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So um, so what they put in was 101000100101100111110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110
Kind of hard to understand what they're saying here. And there's other frequencies kind of bleeding over. And it goes on. You can uh, listen, watch the whole episode on uh, YouTube uh, by looking at the show notes. And uh, it goes on to say, uh, I guess they were kind of getting vectored around way out. And they said, you know, we can't we can't do that. We need to get back now because we're having a fuel issue. And it took, you know, the communications were really difficult because the air traffic control uh, folks weren't really getting the the idea that Singapore 634, you know, was start, starting to get to a low fuel state, and uh, and you know what i I didn't think that it was really that out of the ordinary for the query about why they received the go around, and uh, I could kind of understand why the Singapore 634 flight crew were a little bit of you know a little bit upset about it, but. Uh, um, it didn't sound like yeah. they were extremely I just don't upset. think they were speaking to the right bloke, really, um, yeah. to complain about it, because uh, he's the tower controller. This, uh, this is, we're now on the radar controller. He might not even be on the airfield. I don't, <laughs> think, miles I don't think the radar controller even knew <laughs> that he no. went around. You know, no. What was your question? <laughs> yeah, what? Exactly. what are you talking about? I mean, uh, com communication is a problem uh, in Japan at times. We have had uh, aircraft uh, on diversions that have uh, really struggled to, as soon as you break out of 
pretty standard RT calls and start trying to organize a diversion and uh, perhaps negotiate a different airfield and the airfield they give you isn't suitable and you're trying to advise them. We've had guys end up in some very difficult situations because they just can't get their message across. And it does, of course, vary controller to controller because some controllers are excellent. Um, um, others ha don't have quite as good a grasp of conversational English as you might hope. When And when you're negotiating a diversion, that's the kind of English that you end up breaking into because there are no set calls mm -hmm. really for, no, I don't want to go there. I want to go here because my fuel state's this and I need that and I want to go to that facility and I don't care if it's busy, <laughs> et cetera, yeah. et cetera. The complexity increases rapidly in those situations. Oh, and I should also yeah. add that um, the, the low fuel state that the guy was complaining about was just they only had a limited amount of fuel to attempt another approach before they reached their alternate diversion point uh, that that's fuel state. And then they would have to go to a, an alternate location. So it wasn't like they were about to run out of fuel completely. Yeah. Uh, Josine in the chat room is asking if uh, Singapore should have requested a pan. I personally uh, say yes, because I've absolutely no worries at all about if I'm concerned about my fuel state, I'll happily uh, declare an emergency. Um, and he even just used the term minimum fuel. I don't mm -hmm. think the term they used was standard uh, when they were trying to explain their fuel situation. Right. Uh, so, um, I mean, we've now standardized uh, in uh, EASA a call for, I need to get the aircraft back pointed at the airfield now, and we, we call it minimum fuel, uh, as opposed to I am running short of fuel, in which case we date an emergency and either say pan 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 or mayday depending on the fuel level that you expect to land with or have reached so uh, but he didn't really make that particularly clear and i think mm -hmm. if you're dealing with someone who uh, doesn't have english as a first language you do have to use very standard phraseology yes and as uh, captain al adds uh, it's imperative to speak slowly and clearly if possible mm -hmm. yeah yeah Okay. Oh, I, I do apologize, Captain Al, smartass. <laughs> yeah, minimum fuel is a, yeah, we use minimum fuel and emergency fuel here in the U.S. as well. Thank you, Neville and John, for that. Uh, Walt has a question. It's a good one. After Dana's discussion in 318 of seniority and 777 captains having to move to first officer if they changed airlines, I'm curious what happens to seniority numbers when one airline takes over another? For example, how did Delta and Northwest or American and U.S. Air handle their link-ups? Did this go smoothly or cause a lot of trouble? Great podcast, Walt. Well, Walt, the answer to your question is, well, <laughs> it's all over the place. Sometimes these mergers go really well uh, with seniority list integrations and sometimes not so great. And... Uh, yeah, um, and it really depends on the airline, and again, it depends on you know where we're talking. If we're talking about the U.S., then it's one answer. If, as we kind of found out in the last show, you know the the world that uh, Captain Nick and Captain Al, and you know in the U.K. and the in Europe, things are a little bit different. You know the the way seniority systems work. So yeah, I think it's more common for an airline to be put on 
it adopted as their own entity sometimes within the major airline. So they keep a separate contract, fly from separate bases. Uh, the same colored airplanes is more common nowadays because people don't want to integrate because of all the, the problems and the, and because the unions, you get two different unions bashing heads, trying to do the best for their pilots. It can end up with a night as a nightmare. Now, uh, the, um, I, I do know, because I, we, we have several friends at Delta and Northwest uh, that tell us about how the seniority integration went with that merger. And uh, as far as airline mergers and seniority list integrations are concerned, it went really, really well. Uh, they did a lot of work to ensure that it was uh, you know, pretty fair and equitable for everyone involved. Of course, there's always going to be somebody that thinks that they were they were screwed somehow, and, and maybe somebody else may think, hmm, I got the best end of that deal, and I'm not going to say anything about it. Um, but overall, I'd say that that was a, a really good integration. Now, I'm not sure that the American U.S. Air, America West, and other <laughs> conglomerations you know, doing their seniority integration how well i think it's actually still in the process right now or did it finally uh go through dana do you know you know i don't know the latest on that yeah so i I don't think it went as smoothly as the uh northwest uh, delta one did no certainly nowhere near and there are cases where we hear this all the time where somebody will merge or buy another airline and they'll just staple the seniority list of the ailing airline at the very bottom, which I think is not very fair and equitable. But, you know, uh, I guess it's it's business. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all over the place, actually, Walt. I mean, it's just I wish I could give an answer. And this is the way it always works out. But uh, it's a, it's a, the whole spectrum of good to bad. And very, very few good, to be honest with you. It's yeah, mostly right. been bad. That is true. Okay. Um, Bob says, hello, Captain Jeff. And the re- Oh, this is actually, he sent this uh, via Slack. Hello, Captain Jeff and the rest of the APG crew. Just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy the podcast. I'm a test pilot for a Legacy Airworthiness Authority, an LAA, and never having been an airline pilot, I was a Navy pilot and test pilot before joining the Legacy Airworthiness Authority. But being responsible for certifying the aircraft used by the airlines, it's great to hear your stories about line flying. A few shows ago, I think it was 313, you had a discussion about the CDL, Configuration Deviation List. I thought you might be interested in how we certify the CDL. The CDL is basically a list of, quote, stuff that can be missing from an airplane. It applies to small things like inspection panels, flap seals, and the like, up to bigger things like wingtips or winglets. When these items are missing, they can cause a drag increase, and so a drag additive is added, slightly increasing required fuel burn, typically inserted into your flight management computer as a small penalty. This aspect is determined analytically. The aspect that I, as the test pilot, get involved in is the handling quality, stability, and control. The way we do that is kind of interesting. Well, it's interesting to an engineering geek like me. We do the worst case by taking every single item part that's allowed by the CDL to be missing off the airplane. We take them off all on one side because that gives you the worst asymmetric drag situation. So, for example, 
on the 747-8 during its certification program we removed the right wingtip all the seals on the right side high lift systems all the inspection panels on the right side and so on and we did a test flight that checked the stability and control and high speed characteristics and stall characteristics to the airplane limits it was required to pass all these tests in the same way that the full up airplane is required to do. So thought you might be interested in how the CDL is established. Thanks again for a great show and keep up the great work. Thank you, Bob. That was really fascinating to me uh, that they actually, you know, I, I maybe just assumed that they did a lot of computer, you know, simulations and that kind of thing to kind of. Yeah, that was the same thing it. for me. Yeah, I, I had no idea they actually did it empirically, got airborne and actually flew it to the stall uh, with bits hanging off. That's very mm -hmm. impressive. Very fascinating. Well, thanks for your kind words about the show, and I'm glad that we can kind of give you that perspective of the line flying. And thank you for giving us the perspective of what goes on behind the scenes when you're testing all this kind of stuff. Very, very interesting. I wonder if when they uh, test the um, 777X with its folding wings, whether they're going to fly around with one wing folded to see <laughs> they might well you know at least yeah. Yeah. it's not like the whole wing is falling <laughs> yeah it's it's right. three and a half meters yeah. just chop three and a half meters off the end of this wing mate get up on see, uh, you know what i think you know if you, you had know. asked me that uh, a couple of weeks ago i would have said are you kidding me no way they would do that but now i'm going well maybe they will <laughs> honestly i i would would not be surprised with the aircraft in lower altitudes with th thicker air if that aircraft would actually be able to hold no problem with yeah. full control of the aircraft. It uh, might. Yes. It might, yeah. I would, I would imagine it would. I mean, the the, the length of the wingtip, uh, you know, is really more conducive to the high-altitude regime and helping it in the high altitude. So there might be enough uh, lift force with, with the thicker, you know, lower atmospheric air to keep that airplane airborne no problem. I wonder if they have any control services on that outboard. I would doubt it. I, I would have doubted it as well, but yeah. uh, I was just and moving uh, components. And I'm sure, you know, with, with the modern technology that we have with wind tunnels, they can probably test this very effectively uh, with the wind tunnel and or computer simulation, simula simulation, if I get that out properly. Mm -hmm. So I, I would imagine that before they even tried to fly the aircraft or even design the aircraft that way, that, that it would be a safety, a safety factor that they would probably consider. Yeah. Well, hey, Bob, if you're listening, let us know. Uh, we're, you know, we're kind of curious about that 777 folding wing, wingtip. Are you going to be flying that thing out there <laughs> with it folded up? If you're going to, can I come and watch, please? Yeah, take pictures. <laughs> yeah. Just, just send us the video after the fact. Yeah. <laughs> that is, if you make it back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, he's he's ex Navy. He's he's good. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh -huh. All right. Uh, quickly moving on here, we're getting toward the end. Uh, Thomas. Writes, hi, APG crew. On a recent episode of the APG show, the topic of making an inexpensive ADSB receiver came up. I run a radio enthusiast's blog called the, now it's S-W-L-I-N-G post. So how would that be pronounced? Swilling post or S-W-L-ing post? That must be a, a short wave. I don't know what the L stands for, though. Anybody in the chat room have any idea? S-W, any hams? amongst us ham radio operators anyway so i, I have a feeling sw stands for shortwave uh, because he's a radio enthusiast uh sw 
Ling post. That's what I'm going to say. Last year, I posted a simple tutorial for creating your own FlightAware ADS-B receiver. It's a fun and easy project, and it simply blows my mind how this modest little system routinely receives data from aircraft a couple hundred miles away. Once you have the system up and running, you'll have a web-based interface that displays real-time, incredibly accurate data from nearby aircraft. As your Listener mentioned a cool perk is that if you feed ADSB data into the FlightAware system, FlightAware will give you a premium account for free. This is a major perk for the AV geek. It's not a difficult process at all. In fact, you really only need a few pieces of hardware, a Raspberry Pi, an SDR dongle, which is a small USB receiver, an antenna, which usually ships with the dongle, and the micro SD card for the Raspberry Pi. The only semi-complicated step is burning the FlightAware system on the micro SD card and adjusting settings. Even that, though, is quite easy if you simply take your time and follow the directions. The whole project might take 30 to 60 minutes to put together. Wow, that's nothing. I'll uh, include a link to my article if you wish to post in the show notes, and we will for you to see. And he said, thanks again for the amazing show. And soon to be Captain Dana, we're all proud of you. Moving to the left side might present some challenges, perhaps like when I moved back to the States after living in the UK for so many years. For ages, I'd jump in my car, start it up, reach for the gear shifter and slam my left hand against the left door panel. Good old muscle memory has a mind of its own. <laughs> I sure hope I'm not doing that, but yeah. yeah. And this is uh, Thank you, Thomas. Thomas from Asheville. And uh, again, he's, uh, uh, I think he must host the SWLing post. Shortwave radio, but I'm not sure what the, yeah, the I was looking at wave. his blog to see if I could figure out what the L stands yeah, for. So it was, was not, uh, uh, it's not clear, is it? Steph? No, it's really not. So. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll figure it out eventually. And uh, also the shortwave radio audio archive, also available on iTunes. That's part of the the stuff that he has below his name. I wonder if his name is Thomas Ling. But hmm. in which case, shortwave oh, Ling. That might no, be. it's not. No. It's not. Uh, uh, okay. Well, anyway. I'm out, I'm out of ideas. So if you're out there and you're a super hardcore aviation geek and you want a premium uh, account on FlightAware uh, looks like it's a. Is, I think it's a pretty inexpensive thing too. This Raspberry Pi and the USB receiver dongle and the antenna. Uh, I think uh, as, as the other person mentioned, less than a hundred dollars, and it may be you know quite a bit less than a hundred dollars to do this. So very very cool. And then finally, unless I missed any other one in the uh, lineup here, Mike uh, wrote in Mike Lawrence. Uh, said, um, missed you in Detroit last week. Anyone in the D.C. area later in the week who wants to get together? I'm in town for the SAAs Wednesday to Sunday. What is the SAAs? Anybody have an idea for the mm -hmm. SAAs? Well, anyway, boy, well, lots of lots of tests on this show. Uh, but if oh. if somebody knows what SAA is and uh, are in DC uh, later this week, which is basically right now. <laughs> the Society for American Archaeology? Oh, yeah, South that's got to be it. Airways? <laughs> no, we're an aviation show. It must be South African Airways. April 5th, 11th to 15th, Washington, DC, 20, no, that's 2019. Oh. Uh, no. Wrong year. Wrong year. Wednesday to Sunday. Yeah. Well, anyway. Mm -hmm. 
if you have any idea what Mike's talking about, <laughs> um, let's see how. Oh, and then Liz says, not sure how anyone will get in touch with Mike. <laughs> this is on Facebook. Hmm. Well, look for Mike Lawrence on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know. Any ideas? Yeah, anybody? no, it is Society for American Archaeology. Oh, okay. There you go. So you got to be an archaeologist, uh, archaeology geek, as well as an aviation geek, I guess. The flying archaeologists, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, just walk around D.C. amongst all the archaeologists yelling, Mike Lawrence! Sex Addicts Anonymous is one oh, suggestion. No. Yeah, I saw that one. I, I wasn't going to say you it. You did have to read it. I did. I was like, I just don't know you guys would be blaming me for saying something like that. That's not what I just uh, I have uh, failed. Family show, as, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. I have failed as HR. HR gets yes, fired. Have. Sorry. Lane Street <laughs> says short wavelength by the SWL. Short wavelength. Oh. No, Mike is a uh, Mike is short, short wave oh. listening. So. Hmm. Okay. Still, it's still out on the jury. Okay. Jury's still out. All right. Very good. Well, um, and I really kind of wish now I hadn't said anything about this last one because I have no idea how anybody's going to get in touch with Mike. All right. Well, anything else you guys want to talk about before we go? It looks like we're almost at the three-hour point anyway, so it's a natural time to end the show anyway. Is anybody going to be in Grand Cayman next week? Nope. No. I bet you are, right? <laughs> Nope, he's frozen. I, Dana is going to be, be pretty cold in Grand Dana is going to be scuba diving in Grand Cayman. Oh, yeah. Grand Cayman, at the Sunset House, just outside of downtown. Okay, look for Dana. Just scream Dana <laughs> when you're near the Sunset House at whatever. What's the name of the uh, city there? The in uh, Grand Cayman. Oh my God! I knew you were going to ask me that. Like George, George, Georgetown, Georgetown, Georgetown. How did Georgetown. I know that? I don't know. I don't know. Huh, weird. Okay. Very good. Um, Steph, anything else to add before we sign off? Mm, nope. Okay. Good luck with your, your uh, run on the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sure that well, if I'm you sure. follow Steph on social media, you'll you'll get to see there how she did. There will probably be some updates. Excellent. And uh, Nick, anything? No, sir. I'm I'm ready for bed. All right. Well then, let's uh, let's point you over to the airline pilot guy website, the airline pilot guy or airlinepilotguy.com, not the. Don't put the there, and uh, there you'll find information about the. Um, uh, wait a minute, is this something coming in from the uh, from the chat? Triad overnight on Monday four sixteen lunch with AG and before my night. Show. Oh, okay, um, perhaps uh, let's talk about that after the show. Okay. Uh, so there you can find information about the crew, the community, the coffee fund, merchandise, um, lots of other good stuff there. Oh, and Plain Tales. Let's not forget about that. And remember, Plain Tales is his own standalone iTunes podcast. And please uh, go over there and subscribe to the show and leave a nice review for Nick's wonderful Plain Tales, if you don't mind. And uh, let's see, social media social media you can find us over on twitter use the handle at apg crew and we will 
uh, that's a good way to get in touch with us, I should say, if you have something to say in 280 characters or less. And if you have more to say than that, you can head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy, all kinds of community member action going on there with different posts and aviation related subjects and sometimes information about meetups. So hope to see you there. Exactly. And, uh, oh, I forgot to mention the, uh, apps for your smartphones, both iOS and Android available for free on the appropriate app stores and ad-free as well. And there you can do much of the same thing that you can do by going to our website. So check that out. And Slack, a semi-social media kind of thing, and uh, Hillel will explain it to you. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. And also a uh, quick mention and thanks to our hardworking producer, Liz. Yay, thank you, Liz. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. So long. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot till I started APG. I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine. Airline pilot guy, I fly America. Oh, airline pilot guy, he can't land in heavy fall. Oh, airline pilot guy, I fly America. Bowie and I ain't going.